Well, hello, and welcome to episode 12 of the Bomb City Podcast. If this is your first time joining us, thank you, welcome, this is my show. Uh, it's a fun little interview show where I get to talk to some amazing people to talk about hot rods, customs, and the stuff that's going through their minds as they build them. So this episode is a, a huge deal. This is living legend Gene Winfield. Uh, we were lucky enough to be able to record this at Gene's actual house uh, and museum in Mojave, California. It was uh, an amazing interview, and I'll, I'll get right into it. But since this is such a special episode, I want to take a minute to acknowledge and thank uh, Matchstick for setting this up with Gene there and joining in on the interview, and uh, my wife for, for coming down to Gene's with us and joining in on the chat. We had such an amazing time out there. It was so much fun. I'm, I'm really, really excited to share this one with you. Uh, this also being episode 12 on a monthly podcast means this is the one-year anniversary of the show. So uh, thank you guys so much for listening. I can't tell you how much fun it's been to put these together for you. And uh, I got some exciting stuff planned for 2017. Okay, so I said I'd get right to it, and here it is. Episode 12, Gene Winfield. Thank you so much for listening. Well, we start by saying I was raised in Modesto, California. And, uh, you know, I had my first shop was a chicken house. Yeah. A chicken house behind my mother's house, and I put cement floors in it, and... Later added on to it again, made my own spray booth. And so I was all self-taught. I learned everything on my own. I learned how to use a torch and how to spray with a spray gun and everything was all on my own. And so gradually um, I got the business built up to where it was, it was pretty well a thriving business. And then they drafted me in the Army after I had already been in the Navy. Yeah. And uh, but I was only in the Navy a short time, and they had a deal where you could join the Navy for the duration of the World War Two, duration of the of the you know deal mm -hmm. plus six months. So I was in six months, and then it was over. So anyway, if if you've been in the service a year or more, they wouldn't draft you. Well, they drafted me, and I was bitter. I was mean. I was ornery. But when they come right down to it, it was three days less than a year. Yeah. And so that's why they drafted me. Oh, man. So anyway, I went over to Japan. First of all, I went through cook school. They were, they were hurting for cooks, and, and uh, I've always had a, a weak stomach, so I figured that'd be a good idea to be a cook. That makes so, sense. Then so you can I, uh, be in charge of what everyone's Yeah, eating, so I right? was able to eat whatever I want, whenever I want. Yeah. And so I went over to Tokyo, Japan, as a cook, and, and uh, <clears throat> the, <clears throat> the mess sergeant liked me, and he made me a corporal right away after I was there. I went over as a private. So then we started, we got together with some other GIs and started building and working on cars, and then we actually ended up renting a building and hired a Japanese body man uh, we couldn't pronounce his name, so we called him Hammer Happy. <laughs> so <coughs> he was doing some unbelievable, fantastic work. And uh, the first day that I uh, <clears throat> went out of the base, even before we hired him, of course, uh, first day out of the base, I found a Japanese body shop, and the guy had a, a chunk of steel on the floor about three or four inches thick, 18 inches by 18 inches and two hammers, and he was pounding and cutting with tin snips little pieces of metal, and he pounded them and pounded them and worked them and shaped them and then welded them together 
and he made it a complete front fender for a 39 Buick. Wow. It was just a hammer and this steel plate. And so he pounded them and trimmed them and cut them and, and hammer welded them together. And that's I knew about hammer welding. I had heard about it, but I never did see it. Yeah, so, and since you were self-taught, was this the first time you were around like another metal worker? Like yeah, that? it was the first time I saw uh, hammer welding. That's really cool. And yeah. so I learned how to hammer weld. and. He did some fuse welding also with no rod at all, welded with no rod, and and uh, you know he just fitted everything together. It was unbelievable how he cut all those pieces and made this entire front fender for 39 Buick, yeah. and it was beautiful. So I went back the next day. I watched him for seven, six, seven hours, and went back the next day and watched him again. Yeah. And so that's where I learned how to hammer weld. Wow. And uh, so anyway. And so four of us got together and we rented a, rented a shop. Yeah. And so we were working on four different cars in this little shop. And then we hired a Japanese body man, called him Hammer Happy. And he was unbelievable. Um, he could uh, form metal, you know, and, and, and shape metal and everything, which some of it I had not seen before. Yeah. And uh, so he made a grill for a 39 Ford. Uh, and it, the shape was just unbelievable, the way it curved and and, uh, and dissipated direction, you know, it was just uh -huh. beautiful. And then I had already chopped and half-sectioned this 41 Ford, and I put 46 front fenders on it. Over there, or in, anywhere in the service, you can order things through the PX Garage. And so we ordered brand new fenders through the PX Garage, and they shipped them over, and they were dirt cheap. Wow. See anything you wanted for any any of the cars, any of the GIs that were over there. You could, and you, and if you if you're going to be there a year or more, you can ship your car over there. Yeah. So it was cool. That's so awesome. we were working on this 41. I had already chopped it, but I didn't finish some panels in the rear the way I cut a big panel out to allow the roof to come forward and down, you know, and the rear window stays stock. It just lays down, uh -huh. and so these big panels, these big holes were cut. So I come back and, and he had welded up these holes. I, well, I should say when I, when, I, when I came back, well, I went and went into the hospital. So I was in the hospital for 30 days and uh, they tried to kill me there, you know. You were in a hospital in Japan? In Japan, yeah. That, that had to be pretty well, rough, like the, just talking the, to people. No, it was GI, GI hospital, uh, but it was, uh, <clears throat> they had uh, Japanese interns, you know, learning to be a doctor, and they were giving me this pill every day after the first. See, I went in there with a fever because I had I had uh, got kind of like food poisoning. I drank a Japanese soda and, uh, and got food poisoning. So anytime you have a temperature, any at all, they automatically put you in the hospital, in the service. So I was in the hospital for this fever, temperature and uh, and of course they give me stuff and put me on intravenous and this and that so that went down in three days no problem you know I was I was fine I was ready to get out of there so then they started running all kinds of tests they tested me for everything because of the stomach problem that I've had all my life and they kept running tests and tests and tests so then they found that supposedly I had something in my lower intestines so they were giving me this pill to correct it. And so while I was in there, I would go to the 
um, <clears throat> I would go to a section where they had GIs that were all shot up and, and I would help them and, and help them do crafts and, and things, you know, model airplanes and, and all kinds of things like that. And I had already uh, uh, got into a hobby shop and I was running a hobby shop just, just prior to this uh, hospitalization deal. And um, <clears throat> so this pill started making me weak. Every day I was getting weaker and weaker. And I, I got to the point where I couldn't get out of bed. And, uh, and I knew that this pill was affecting me. And I, I told the intern and I told the, the doctor he would be a lieutenant or a captain. They come in once a day, every morning about 10 o'clock and look at your chart and ask you how you are and this and that. And um, so I told him about this pill, and they said, oh, yeah, that shows that it's curing your problem. Yeah, it's curing your problem, sure. But in the meantime, you're feeling like hell. Like... Well, yeah, so I kept getting weaker and weaker. So then <clears throat> one day I, uh, I didn't take the pill. I, I faked it, you know, and, and got rid of it as soon as they walked away. And then, then the next day they, uh, they brought me the pill. And I told him, I says, I'm not taking the pill. And so they went and got the lieutenant, and he, he says, this is a court-martial offense if you don't take that pill. Huh. And I says, I don't give a damn what it is. You can bring me the President of the United States. I'm not taking that pill because it's killing me. It's, it's making me ill. You know, it's taking away everything I've got, every bit of energy. So then finally they, they start taking my temperature, and this and that, and then they put me in a solitary room, and and uh, and they realized that this guy's dying. You know, he's not going to be here tomorrow. You know, so then they give me everything to correct this problem, and uh, <clears throat> if I hadn't stopped that pill, I wouldn't be here today. Wow. I'll guarantee you. So <clears throat> then, they, then after they <clears throat> realized that they were screwing up. Then they could say, I, they told me I could have anything to eat, day or night, uh -huh. anything I want. If I want ice cream, if I want steak in the middle of the night, anything I want, uh -huh. I can have it. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a cra crazy deal. <clears throat> but anyway, so then I got out of there, and, and uh, so then every day the, uh, the, the orderly, the, the lieutenant or whoever he was, would come in and they'd say, they'd look at the chart and they asked me how I was. And, and once I got, you know, now, now this was like two or three weeks after I was in the solitary deal. So then uh, every morning I'd say, oh, I'm fine, I'm great. Oh, I feel wonderful. You know, I want to go home, ship me home. I was trying to get them to ship me home, but they wouldn't do it. And so I kept telling them I feel wonderful and, and I was still weak, I could hardly move. And so they finally discharged me out of there. And then three days after they discharged me out of there, uh, see, I was in an MP battalion. And uh, in the MP, MP battalion, every six months, you, you go and you fire every weapon there is. You fire every, every kind of a weapon that they have, uh, including a rocket launcher off your shoulder. Wow. They have a rocket launcher they put on the end of a rifle, and you shoot this rifle, and boy, it really knocks you over. <laughs> you, know, you put gloves here and everything, and you shoot this thing, and it, it still knocks you down. Yeah. See? So anyway, so, 
So I put gloves on you. Oh yeah, we we take any sort of padding. Oh yeah, for padding. High tech. We put two gloves on there to keep it from bruising your shoulder, and it still turns black and blue. Oh, it was unbelievable. And I mean, it's 50 caliber rocket launcher. You know, off your shoulder. Something else. That's wild. So anyway, I'm laying there with this buddy of mine, a guy named Snyder. He was from San Francisco, and he was a real wise, wise kid. And and we, we didn't like to wear hats, you know. And in the army, you have to wear hats all the time. And so we'd we'd be walking through the the motor pool or through the yard, and and the, <clears throat> the captain says to Snyder, Snyder, why don't you have your hat on? Well, sir, I'm from California, and we don't wear hats in California. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got by with all kinds of stuff. Another time, I'm, I'm out. The, um, the battalion commander, he was a, a light colonel, and uh, so he, <clears throat> he, uh, he had me. He brought in some, some uh, tricycles and bicycles, to paint and and re refurbish to give to an orphanage. And so, and every year he would do that at Christmas time. So I that's fine. So I went out, and so in order to buy paint for these bicycles, I had to go out of out of my jurisdiction. But I didn't care. So yeah. I went out of my jurisdiction. So then they they saw me driving a jeep out of out of the jurisdiction and with no hat on. So he come <laughs> back and he give me a dr a delinquency report. So. You know, they got on to me about that, and so he called me in, and I said, "Well, sir, I was out getting paint for your orphanage job, you know." So then he felt like hell, but this, anyway, this is your deal, sir. That's, that's right. But he said, "Well, you got to wear a hat," you know. So anyway, so and, you're really on about the hats. Oh yeah, that was unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. So that forty-one that you guys ordered fenders for. That was a car you chopped, and then is that the one that you raced? Yeah, yeah. So we went out to a race, and there was a few GIs went out there, you know, and we had six or eight cars out there, and uh, they were racing motorcycles. So this is still in Japan? Yeah, in Japan. There's a, a track called Funabashi Racetrack, and it's cinder, cinder uh, from the volcano. It's like a real fine little pea gravel. See, so this cinder is what the surface was, and it was loose and slippery and, and every, unbelievable. So uh, I talked to the people with an interpreter that ran the track, and I said, let's race, you know, these American cars here. So we had the first, actually, uh, be the first NASCAR race in Japan. Wow. What year is this? And this is 1950. That's wow. insane. <laughs> so 1950. <coughs> so <clears throat> I think it was six of us, and it was a, a Pontiac, and a Pontiac straight eight that had two carburetors and a shaved head, and it was a Mercury convertible with heads and manifold on it, and another uh, Merc, I don't know what all they were, I forget, but so then I had this 41, which had the, it was chopped and had the dash out, so the steering column was held with welding rod. So the steering column was held with welding rod. But I had raced <coughs> hardtops and jalopies before I went over there, uh -huh. before I went to Japan. So we chained down the uh, the front axle 
to hold the right rear tire on the ground, or left rear tire. Uh, actually, we changed it down to hold the right rear, thinking that we were going to race in the normal counterclockwise, like we do in the U.S. And then these guys at the last minute, they knew what I was doing, and they said, well, why don't, because we're here, let's Let's do oh, as, as the Japanese do. Let's follow so, the tradition. Yeah, so we're going to go <laughs> clockwise. So right quick, we change the chain to the other side, and we up the float in the carburetor a little bit, advance the timing, and <clears throat> we drew straws. We didn't have time to go out and try the track and, and uh, qualify. So we drew straws for position, and I drew last. Yeah, it was five cars what it was. It was of six. It was forward in front of me and I'm in the back. So that was fine, I didn't care. So we took off, now this is a half mile track. So we took off and <clears throat> and we go into the turn and the cars are leaning and sliding, sliding sideways in, in this loose stuff, you know. And I went right around inside of them, passed them up. And, and by the second turn, I had already got in first place. <laughs> so then in, in six laps, I not only was ahead, but I turned around and passed them again. <laughs> I, I lapped them again. Wow. <laughs> so it was it was no race at all. I mean, you know, just I tore them up. Right. And, and you guys were just there to watch the motorcycles anyway. It just yeah. kind of happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, That's great. <laughs> and I uh, <clears throat> and there's no windshield in this car. I'm driving with oh, no geez, windshield. Oh, with all the loose stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> I drove it out there with no windshield. So then. <clears throat> then they had a uh, a race with little uh, what would be like almost like midgets or sprint cars. Uh -huh. So they had some homemade cars there, and the Nissan Nissan Datsun Motor Car Company had two cars there that were professionally built. They're called the Dot King and the Dot Queen, and these were. Uh, cigar-shaped uh, Indy cars, like, like an Indy car, but smaller. They had a Datsun engine in them, and the stock, uh, the stock Datsun engine had 20 horsepower. So they upped it to 28 horsepower by putting a downdraft carburetor on it and shaved the head. That's all they did. And it would go in the turns and it would just slide and just loose. It was unbelievable. So then a GI built a little car with a Crosley engine. He had a Crosley engine, and uh, <clears throat> he would tear them up so bad that they would let the Japanese car take off and go almost three quarters of a lap, and then they would let this car. Wow. The, they gave him that much of a handicap? Yes. Wow. And he'd go out there, and in one lap, he'd tear them up, just like I did. Wow. He just was just pathetic. I mean, it was just <laughs> unbelievable. Tear them up. So then we started building a car to beat, to beat him. So we started building a, a Crosley race car. So we bought a Crosley engine, had it shipped over, and somewhere I've got a picture of me holding the Crosley engine with one hand. <laughs> and then I'm holding the frame with one finger. Wow. We found chromoly elliptical tubing, a six, about 16th wall, elliptical wing strut material. We built the whole frame out of that thing. Had a suicide front end on it and everything. and. Uh, and over there in Japan, <clears throat> back in the early days, they built uh, what we called baby Fords. So they had a Ford plant in, in Tokyo in the early days. And this would be prior to 
1950, mm -hmm. see, and they, they built baby Fords, so we found a, a 34, 33, 34 grill in a, in a wrecking yard over there that was exactly the same, but miniature, and we found a front end, the axle, the spindles, the everything, all miniature wow. on that, so we had this miniature baby Ford front end on this thing, see, and then I sent over for, I was building a bigger sports car, because they had sports, the Sports Car Club of America <clears throat> had a race once a year in a different place in a big parking lot. And they were racing Jaguars, and, and uh, in fact, I drove a, a Jag XK120. That's the biggest piece of crap you've ever seen in your life, <laughs> to try to drive one of those things. The pedals are so close together, I couldn't even get my feet in between the two pedals. And then it was just like a sled. It was just, you know, slide around. It was terrible. So I was building a sports car. So I sent over for a quick change rear end, and I had a drop front Ford axle, one of my axles over there, and I uh, and had a frame. So anyway, <clears throat> so I I tried to help the, the Japanese uh, Nissan motor car company, and so first thing I did was groove the tires. I took a hot knife and I grooved the tires, and that helped a little bit. Then I locked the rear end. I had them weld up the spider gears and locked the rear end. It didn't have enough horsepower to break it loose. It didn't work. It didn't work. The locked rear end would just shove them out in the field. It couldn't slide it and break it loose. It didn't have enough horsepower. So we had to take the locked rear end out. So then I took the steering wheel off to try to get in the car, and I could not get in that car. There's no possible way I could get down in that car. It was so small, even with the steering wheel off. So I couldn't drive it. So it made me mad. <laughs> but anyway, I tried and tried to get him to give him some more horsepower. On those, and Dot King and Queen, I have pictures of that. Really? In here in the... Huh. In the but you couldn't do it. It's just too, no. too weak, too puny. No, couldn't do it. Huh. So we were building this Crosley to beat the other Crosley while I was there. <clears throat> but anyway, I started to tell you, when I come back out of the hospital, after I'd been there 30 days, this guy had cut a hole in the side of the quarter panel, about a six-inch diameter hole, and welded it up. And I said, what's that for? He cut a hole and he's to stick his arm through, to reach, to, to reach the pound and hammer weld the, <laughs> well, the, the roof. I couldn't believe it. That's great. Cut a hole right in the side of the quarter panel on both sides. I love it. To reach his hand through so good, and then welded it up. Wow. It was fabulous. So when you guys were working on cars in Japan there, was that mostly for GIs, or was there like an appetite for American No, no, it was cars? strictly for our own. It was yeah. four, four people. Okay. Actually, one of them was a GI that had taken a discharge over there, okay. married a Japanese lady. So he was living there, and he spoke the language pretty fluently. Uh -huh. And so he hired the, the Japanese body man, and, and he arranged for us to rent. So the four of us rented this shop, him included, so the 39 Ford convertible, we were building for him. Then I was building a sports car, and then we were building the, the uh, <clears throat> Crosley-powered race car and, and the 41. Mm -hmm. So we were having a good time, and so all of our off-time hours we spent at this. And uh, before we rented that mm -hmm. place, when I was chopping the top, I had to have a settling torch so I went to this uh, Japanese welding shop 
and I have pictures where it says oxygen welding and cut in, in, in English. That's what it says on the building, oxygen welding and cut. And then in Japanese uh, uh, letters besides that. And so I rented the torch and, and they made their own acetylene. They made their own acetylene. Stink, stinks like crazy. Wow. They put this white pellets in there, carbide or whatever it is, I'm not sure of the chemical. They put it in there and the gas coming off of it is acetylene <laughs> that, you, wow. that you weld with. So I rented this by the hour. I don't know how much. And I welded up this car outside in front of this shop with this. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, it's gas torch. Uh, you know, it was crazy. Had a lot of fun. So you came <clears throat> back in 51? Yeah, I come back in 51. I created my logo while I was there in Japan in 50 or 51. I came home. So I've been using that logo ever since 51. Did you draw it or did you like I, have I, an artist work on it? or? I drew it and then I had an artist help me just clean it up, straighten it up a little bit. Uh, while I was there, I forget his name, but uh, he helped me straighten it up, and then I brought it home, and and I've been using that. And so it's in the in the logo. It says Winfield's Custom Shop. So did you only work with your brothers before you went over there? Yeah. And yeah. W like you were self-taught. So what about your brothers? Same thing. Did they learn from you? Well, <clears throat> I had an older brother that uh, he had a small wrecking yard. He had two acres, and he had a small wrecking yard, and he was buying. Uh, uh, big cars uh, like Duesenberg and uh, and I uh, forget the other one. one Cords. Cord and the one Auburn. that has three, ta three taillights. I forget what that is. Not Duesenberg. Packard? No. Anyway, so he was buying these expensive cars that were motor in engine blown up or something and put them out there and he was selling parts off of them. <coughs> one time he bought he went, there was a Ford dealer somewhere closed down. It wasn't in Modesto, but there was a Ford dealer closed down and he went up, up in the attic or whatever and bought all of the old Model T stuff. Mm -hmm. So he had 15 or 20 brand new Model T fenders, fenders and running boards and dashboards and, mm -hmm. and cowl sections and, and the turtle back, yeah. all of that stuff for 20, 24 and 22 T's. And, yeah. And stuff. So it's he, all their obsolescence. Yeah. So I still have one fender that really I still have a T fender somewhere that he had bought in that collection. So he, and then so he built his own house. He him and some people built a rock house, round stones, you know, cemented together and built this rock front house and lived there. And then he had a gas station. So he had a gas station. So his, his name was Mark. So. Frank and I, the two younger brothers, went over there to, and went to work with him. Were you guys, were you and Frank the same age or is Frank? Younger? Frank is a year and a half older than me. Okay. So we went over there. Uh, he's in a rest home now. Oh, really? And all the other brothers are, are gone. There was actually four boys and two girls originally in the family. And I was the baby. I was the last one. But... Um, <clears throat> So we went over there as brothers, and we had a business card, Winfield Brothers Service. So we operated this gas station and this little wrecking yard. And then at one point, he he took in washing machines to rebuild them. He was rebuilding washing machines, Maytag 
washing machine and things like that. And he'd buy the new motors and the pumps and the and the belts and all that stuff and refurbish those washing machines. And I helped do that. I helped tear them down and, and work on those washing machines. And then <clears throat> he would buy a few used cars and usually uh, he liked the big cars like a Packard and Buicks. Packards and Buicks, he always drove a big old Packard four-door or Buick or whatever, you know, and um, so he'd buy those and put them out front. So he always had two or three, maybe four cars for sale, you know, and he'd go up to San Francisco and go to the dealers and he would wholesale, you know, they would wholesale to him these cars that nobody wanted, so to speak, you know, he would bring them down there and, and wait for the right buyer and and sell these big yeah, old cars. This is what 40, 44, 43? Yeah, 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 yeah. So they're the they're twenty years old and they're they're way outdated by that right. standard, yeah. right? Right. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Okay. So he would buy these cars in the forties and and bring them down, and he had a dealer's license and so forth, and so he would buy and sell these cars. So. Me and Frank, the, the younger brothers, we were doing all the work, and he was getting all the money. <laughs> so, oh shit! We, you know, to speak of, you know, I mean, he'd pay us a little bit, but uh, it, it wasn't working out real well. And so we we uh, we were only there about a year, year and a half, maybe two years, and then we gave it up. And, and then I went in. By this time, now he he gave me a paint gun, and he showed me how to you know spray. He said, "Here, you pull the trigger and you blow it back and forth." And so I had my first Model A I bought, and um, I was 15 when I bought it. And so by this time I was 15, 16, probably 16 years old. So I painted it out in the yard at the gas station, uh, painted it uh, navy blue, and I got some runs in it, and then I sent them out. He showed me how to sand them out and repaint it. So finally got it looking pretty good. So that was my first paint job. Really? Yeah. What was it like to get a license then? Did you have to get a driver's license, or you just buy a car? Yeah, and drive? you could. You could. You're you're supposed to be at that time. You had to be 16 to get a 16 years old to get a driver's license. But you could get one at 15 if you had a reason or like a hardship to drive your mother or something. So I did get a, a license at 15 and a half, I think, and I had my first Model A when I was 15. So. <clears throat> You showed me a picture of a 32 that you chopped, and that was like, what year was that? That was You said that was one of your first chops. Well, I helped, there was a guy moved from L.A. up to Modesto, big, tall, blonde-haired guy, I can't think of his name right now. So he moved up there, and, and somehow I got acquainted with him because I had this car I'm driving around, and anything that I saw that was different, you know, I would look at it and follow it and look at it and maybe, and then later I got this little camera. But, uh, so I got acquainted with him and um, he had a 32 five window and I was, I was flying model airplanes. I was building model airplanes. So somewhere I've got a picture of three of my planes sitting in front of this 32 five window that we chopped, a black five window. So I helped him chop this car. So then my first chop was a 32 three window later when I was 17. And I didn't have a picture of that until just recently. Somebody gave me a picture of that first. So that's 44. Huh? 
So that had been, what, 44 when you yeah. did that, right? Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that predated the... I didn't know if the first chop was the one in Japan on the base or no, no. if you'd done no, one no. here. No, you, no, so I, you'd already seen him in, the in like, jalopy racing and stuff, right? Yeah. So, see, when I... When I had my <clears throat> when I had my Model A coupe, it was a twenty eight coupe, and I left the stock engine in it for a while. Then I shaved the head on it, put a downdraft carburetor on it, started playing with it. But I didn't know what to do to it, so I hung stuff on it. I hung stuff on the license plate, and I had to have an antenna because to be cool you had to have a foxtail. <laughs> See, so I had no radio, but I put an antenna on it so I could have the foxtail. And then, you got all the all the doodads going, right? And and all the wig wigwags on the tail lights and all that kind and of stuff. The wolf stripe on the door. Uh, yeah, and put this put the stripe on the door. See, that was a wolf stripe. So then, <clears throat> then I uh, <clears throat> I was driving along, and a taxi, a taxi, come out of an alley, and and hit me, nailed me, and wrecked the Model A. So I had to get it towed home. So then I started to try to fix it up. And then I found a, a 30 Model A Roadster. So I bought the 30 Model A Roadster. And it still had a flat, it, I mean, it still had a, a Model A engine in it also. So I've, I took the Model A out and put my first V8 in and I put a 37 Ford flathead V8 in there. So then I shaved the heads and then I made my own intake manifold. Uh, made them out of tubing and a flat plate and stuff, and and I brazed the whole thing together and I warped that plate so bad, <laughs> had to get it machined, you know, and it would it probably lost an eighth of an inch thickness <laughs> in machining it because uh, it warped so bad, uh, but it worked, and I had was it for two carbs? Two carburetors, yeah. so I had two carburetors on there, and I had a then I put a thirty-two grill on it, so little by little, and I was driving that Model A Roadster around and then seeing other cars like I went to Sacramento and saw some cool cars and I had the little six dollar camera it was an Agfa 626 camera which I'm looking for now yeah. and um, it was everybody had a brownie I have a brownie in here brand new one in the box with the flash and everything wow. but I didn't have a brownie I had this Agfa uh, six dollar camera <clears throat> so I took it around and everything I found with fender skirts or lowered or hood molded, anything that was done to a car mm -hmm. whatsoever, I'd get a picture of it. So I went to Oakland, San Francisco and Hayward and all around these cities, you know, um, 100 miles or so in, in Fresno and, and all around. And um, <clears throat> so I was taking pictures with this first Roadster. See, in fact, uh, uh, the first time I met George Barris, um, I finally got this car painted. But but this roadster, I was putting, I was changing things all the time. Uh -huh. I must have had six different bumpers on the rear, and and I had big big bumpers. I mean, huge big bumpers at first, you know. And then finally I took them off and went smaller. But but I had a big Desoto or Chrysler bumper that was six inches wide, you know, huge big bumper on the rear, and I had a Continental kit on it once and everything all kinds of stuff. And I just kept changing and changing and finally refining it, getting more and more like a street roadster should look, see? Uh -huh. But I didn't know at first. So I'm taking all these pictures and and I met Dick Bertolucci in Sacramento and Harry Westergaard. And so then I went to Oakland and I found a gas station. Somebody, in fact, told me 
that I go down this certain street and um, it was in uh, San Leandro, actually San Leandro. Uh -huh. And I go down this certain street to a signal gas station. We don't have signal gas here anymore, but a signal gas station. And, he's, and he says, whoever told me about it, there's always hot rods sitting in this gas station. So I got up there, drove my roaster up there, and, and it was fairly fairly decent looking. Met the guy that owns it, a big guy, he had a big big tummy on him, and uh, and he had a roaster of his own, and he parked there every day. He drove back and forth to work with a 29 roaster with a flathead in it, 29 and 32 rails. And then some, so one time I went there and I took a picture of a chopped 36 with a Packard grill and all kinds of stuff. So I, you know, was acquainted with him and, and then I'm seeing all these really nice cars. And then I went, they told me that there's a place over here that does these Carson type tops. Uh -huh. And by this time I had my shop going and I'm, I'm building cars a little bit anyway. So this guy, uh, see a Carson top was in Carson, California. Right, see? right. So a guy that worked for him moved to Oakland and his name was Hall. So they had Hall tops in Northern California. You had to have a Hall top. And in Southern California, you had to have a Carson top. And they were virtually the same. They're made the same, look the same, everything. And they were just a very nice, high quality. So I went there several times and took pictures of the cars that are in there getting Carson tops. 36 Roadster, uh, you know, 40 Fords and stuff like that. So it was really cool. So how'd you meet George? So <clears throat> I'm in my roadster. It was about midnight or 11 or 12 o'clock at night, and I was on my way home. I'd been cruising, the, you know, we had 10th Street, see. We cruised back and forth on 10th Street. And then later they changed it where you had to cruise one direction on 10th, and then we had to go down 11th Street. But at the end, down at the end, we had Burgess Drive-In. So we'd cruise back and forth and go to Burgess Drive-In. This is Modesto. Pardon me? Modesto? In Modesto, right. yes, in Modesto. In fact, I met my first wife there at, at Burgess Drive-In. Wow. And uh, I saw this beautiful blonde, you know, there was three girls up in a car and I'm in another car. And I think I had a chop, I had my chop Merc by then. So I, I told this guy that knew her, I said, I want to meet her, bring her back here, I want to meet her. Oh no, you don't want to touch her, that's, that's Bradbury, or, Bradley, Bradbury's girlfriend. I said, I don't care whose girlfriend it is. I want to meet her. So I did. You're like, not for long. That's right. So I met her and got acquainted. And then one time I was at a dance and, and this Bradbury called me out. He's going he's gonna to beat me up. He's going to thrash me. So, and, and, and I was scared, you know, because I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. So, so I told him, I said, well, I tell you what. Did you brace? I said, you better talk to her. Yeah. You talk to her and decide if she wants you or me. And if she wants you, fine, I'll leave her alone. Makes sense. Simple deal. Yeah. You know, so he backed off and, <laughs> and he found out that she wanted me. <laughs> and later I married her. <laughs> but anyway, back to Barris. Yeah. I'm going home. Take I, that, Brad I stopped. I stopped at... At a stop sign, see the main, the main street going through. I mean, the main highway that went all the way from L.A. to Sacramento was Ninth Ninety Nine. It's Ninth Street Ninety Nine. So it was Ninth Street 
And so I'm sitting at the corner of 9th Street, and this beautiful 36 comes over and pulls into a Chevron gas station right there almost in front of me, right across the street. Uh-huh. As soon as the light changed, I went over there, and I parked my car over the side, and I walk over, and I'm looking this car over, and um, right front fender was gone, and he had mud all over it. It was mud all over that sucker, but it was a beautiful car. It was all molded and Carson top and, you know, everything. It was really, really nice, and it was light green primer. That's what it was. So I met this guy, and, and uh, <clears throat> he says, well, he says, uh, my name is George. I'm on my way to L.A. to build custom cars with my brother. I'm from Sacramento. So... And I didn't know who, who he was or anything about it, you know. So, okay, we went on our way. So then, uh, two or three years later, or whenever it was, um, <clears throat> we had, <clears throat> I formed a club called the Century Toppers in Modesto. And uh, at one time, we got up to 30, 35 members. But, but it was very small at first, and, and then later it dwindled back down. But uh, How would you get in the club? Uh, we form, I formed the club. I was first president. No, but how did people become members? Well, they come over there and they applied, and then they had to come to three, three meetings, three meetings, and then we would vote on them. Why were, were they called century toppers? Well, it, the the intent would be that you'd go over 100 miles an hour. You'd go 100 miles an hour to be in the club, but that wasn't official. We didn't hack, half the cars wouldn't go 100 miles an hour. <laughs> <clears throat> but anyway, mine would. With the hope of going a hundred, it was yeah. it was getting there. Like. So anyway, we had a, we decided we're gonna have an auto show. Now this is before Sacramento auto show, before the first Oakland auto show, before the first Sa- Fresno auto show. It was the first auto show in Northern California that I know of. So we had about twenty eight cars, and we had two or three cars from Sacramento and two or three cars from Oakland and and uh, Blackie came from Fresno and these are all 100 mile you know Sacramento now Sacramento to Modesto was 70 75 so anyway they all come to this show so Al Sloniker had put on a show in San Francisco I don't know what he called it hot rod and sports car show or something so he came down looking for cars for the first Oakland Roadster show and so now our show was December, uh, December 8th, 9th, and 10th of 49. And his show was then February uh, of 50. See, so the first Oakland show was February of 50. But when he counts the number, when they had their 50th, uh-huh. It wasn't truly the 50th, it was 49, because he counted that first San Francisco show later, see? So this is true facts. So, so anyway, he picked six or seven cars from our little show to go to Oakland. My roadster, Blackie's roadster, and two or three cars from Sacramento, like so. And then Barris <coughs> came up with, I think, four cars. He came up to Modesto with four, I mean up to Oakland with four cars. So in the meantime, I'm in the Army before I went to Japan. And so I'm in there in the morning in uniform and I'm taking pictures with my $6 camera. And George is in there 
with his Rolleiflex. Now Rolleiflex is a twin, uh, twin uh, uh, exposure deal. You know, uh -huh. you look down through it and you adjust it, and then you click it. Oh, uh, it was those big medium format right. cameras that came in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So those are cool. So had to look through this. Yeah. Okay, so George, being as short as he was, he invented <laughs> holding the camera overhead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. George was the first one to do that. So he's looking through his camera up here and clicking it to oh, get. Oh, he'd shoot it upside down with that, like yes. a periscope. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you get like that's a good great. angle. Right. Oh, that's interesting. So that's tricky. <clears throat> so he asked me who I was or where I was from or something, and I said, "Well, I'm from from Modesto, and I have, I had, I had four or five. I forget maybe." Four, five, or six cars in the show mm -hmm. that I had done. One was my roadster, which I finally upholstered it just for that show. See, and it was already chromed and painted. I painted it what I call purple, so it was a, it was a purple. It was a purple on the red side. See, purple it can be red side or blue side. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so I says I'm from Modesto, and he says, oh, he says, you know, a few years ago I met a guy with a black 32 from Modesto. See, and it was me. That's he great. remembered that. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So then <clears throat> he gave me his card and he says, if you're ever in LA, he says, come by and see me, you know. So then sometime later, I don't know when it was, but I, I went to LA and and uh, <clears throat> Sam's, he had, Sam had the 40 Merc, 39 or 40 Merc uh, coupe chopped, light blue in color, and George had the uh, Buick convertible with a cat grill. Both of these are sitting out on the street. So I was out there and I'm driving my mother's Plymouth. So I, I'm out there with my $6 camera and I'm shooting pictures of these cars. And, you know. So then I walk around, there's kind of a, a halfway parking lot with some weeds in it and stuff. 41 Ford sitting there with the door open, 41 coupe that was all customized and chopped and everything. So. The door's open and I'm down there and I'm looking at this thing and, and he's putting solenoids in the doors and I never saw that before. So, man, I'm studying it. I'm soaking it in like this. Guy comes up behind me. He says, do you own that car? I said, no. Well, get the fuck away from it. <laughs> he screamed at me. I couldn't believe it. Jesus. So, wait, I, could, I mean, I just, it yeah. floored me. I couldn't believe it. Scared the hell out of me, see? So then I go around to the other side of the building and they had a chain up, no admittance. And I asked this guy, I says, uh, hey, uh, George, is George here? I had the card, you know. Uh -huh. He says, yeah, he says, I'll get him. So he comes over, and, well, come on in, Gene, how are you? Oh my God, he says, you know, and Sam, Sam is the one that screamed at me, <laughs> Sam Barris. <laughs> so then he's mad as hell because George is showing me all around, yeah. see? And, and so that's what, you see, Jam, uh, George got all the credit you know, and he didn't do any of the work. Sam was doing all the work, building the real fine bitching cars and doing all the leading and everything. That's where they got the name Lead Sled. I saw, I saw Sam at another time putting on three sticks of lead at the same time, you know, and he was doing a fillet that should have had a piece of metal welded in it, but instead he's filling it with lead. See, so they easily put 100 pounds of lead on a car, and that's where the name Lead Sled came. And George and <clears throat> George and Sam were not well liked by the Chicano people in in L.A. area. 
say they they really did not like George and Sam at all, and they did all kinds of stuff, like they um, <clears throat> they watched them and and they're you know Sam's working at night you know and they they watch them and they know when they're gonna go home and stuff, so then they're they're driving home and they bought this big old Buick, you know for two hundred dollars or a hundred dollars whatever, and they rammed into him. And, and had oh, an accident, got out and ran and left the car sitting there. Jesus. There's all kinds of stories like that. You you have no idea. How about um, just tension in the neighborhood? or? Yeah, because they didn't like him. I don't know right. why they didn't like him. You know, it was probably George's mouth. Yeah. You know, because, you know, one time in a show, I think it was even in Fresno, see, George would bring cars up and, and see, and by the way, when George would come up for the Sacramento show or the Oakland show, he would stop by my house. Yeah. See, he would stop by my house. When he would bring cars up, like you said, he brought four to your show. Was he just having <clears throat> friends drive the cars, or was he was nobody yeah. was like running a truck and a trailer then for that? No, kind of no, stuff? no, no trailers. No, we're, we're driving everything. Yeah. So, you know that um, <clears throat> the black forty-one that he's chopped and sectioned. He was a forty-one Ford. Anyway, years ago, he's driving that to Sacramento. Mm -hmm. He stopped by, and my brother Frank was was getting married. We were having a wedding. So we had all these people in the yard and all dressed up in suits and everything. George pulls up in the street and parks right in the middle of the street. And I go out and I snap a few pictures, yeah. and he goes on to, to Sacramento. That's great. <clears throat> but one time in, in Fresno show, see, George was a sore loser. He had to win. He had to win, yeah. you know, in these shows. And boy, and then... Later, when when I started winning, I started beating George out with some of my cars. Then he wouldn't talk to me. <laughs> you oh yeah, pissed him off. <laughs> he didn't know me. Walked right by me. Didn't know me at all. Just so I didn't talk to George for 15 years, wow. probably 15, 20 years. Never talked to him. Then later, uh, you know, I'm still doing work and he's retired now. I mean, I mean, it's his best buddy. You know, <laughs> right. that's the way George was. But one time, I was going to tell you. He spit on this guy, Jesus. on the stage, on the stage. When George. this other guy got a, got a trophy that he thought he should have got, wow. he got mad and spit on this guy. Wow. And the guy sued him, wow. and he lost. <laughs> and he told me later, you can't spat on the <laughs> That's in four days. Yeah. Uh, hey, you told me at one time you were out with your camera, and you were at a roller skating rink. And it yeah. was like a 39 Ford, and some guys were stealing 40. this guy's intake. Yeah, 40. I was up, I went to Berkeley. I met a, I met a gal, good-looking gal, in, uh, in Modesto roller skating. And she was there visiting her relatives or friends. So she told me that she's from Berkeley, and she roller skates all the time, so I drive, <laughs> drive my roadster or whatever I was driving then, drive it up there, and I'm in there, and we roller skate. And I saw this black 40 sitting there, you know, really nice coupe, beautiful car. And then when I come out after we're skating, he was out there with under the hood, bolting his manifold back down. So they had tried to steal his manifold. Boy, he was cussing mad. Ooh, he was mad. So then he gets it, gets it running, gets going. He takes off and he did the most beautiful speed shift I've ever seen. Man, I'm telling you, he never let up on that throttle. He just, you know, second gear. <laughs> he burnt rubber out of there, unbelievable. 
So then I went home and I started learning how to speed shift. And I went through six transmissions and rear ends and broke axles, axle keys. <laughs> did everything in my roadster, but I finally learned how to speed shift. So that was what that was, and that was real. So, you know, you got the shop going, you came back into Modesto. Yeah, I, well, I came back out of the Army. See, I, I just closed down my chicken house. I came back and I opened it up again. And immediately I had business right away. You know, I had people just waiting. And, and I developed a way of, of cutting the front coils without removing them from the car. See, we'd jack it up and pry the, pry the coils up a certain way and torch them and fish out the pieces. So on Saturday I would lower cars. Now, some of them I'd put lowering blocks on. We'd jack them up and put blocks on them. Sometimes I'd cut the coils and put blocks on them. And, but cutting coils, I've cut as many as 10 cars on one Saturday. Wow. What do you charge? 10 bucks. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah, I heard about a guy when I lived in Western Kentucky, there was a guy that still had a service shop, and in wow. like the 50s, he'd charge people like three bucks, but he'd torch their springs. Yeah. And yeah. evidently his, his thing was he'd ask like three times. He'd be like, are you sure you want to do this? Yeah. And he's like, if he asked a few times, then he'd be like, okay, <clears> he'd do it. You know. Well, I would heat a few but mostly to level them. Yeah. See, I'd measure the car first. I'd bounce it up and down before, before I touched it, and then I'd measure each side, and, and they're almost always off, yeah. almost always a half inch off. Yeah. See? So then I would heat them a little bit just to lower it after I'd remove the coils. So we did that and did all kinds of stuff. And then, so anyway, then I decided I, I should move uptown you know, and, and I, I, Modesto's too small, so I'm going to move to a big city. See, I had enough business, and I have enough, I had some articles going in the magazine by this time, you know, whatever year that was. Yeah, so momentum. Yeah, so I go to Sacramento, and I looked around, and, and of course, Bertolucci and Westergaard was in Sacramento. Go to San Jose, and, uh, what's his name, he's long dead, did all kinds of lighting. Oh, I forget. Anyway, San Jose, went to Oakland, San Francisco, you know, all around. And then I found a shop in in uh, San Jose that that I thought I could operate in. Uh, Joe Wilhelm, Joe Wilhelm was in San Jose, doing fabulous work, all leading, all you know, metal shaping and stuff, and hammer welding, you know, and. Uh, <clears throat> So I decided, okay, we're gonna to move to, to San Jose. So my wife was working at the time. She was working in a real estate office or something. So she went over there with me. We got her a job and we were all ready to go. And we found this shop and, and the owner says, okay. And we had it all agreed and everything was fine. He says, now you're gonna to have to go get a permit. And you have to get a permit from the fire department. So I go to the fire department, and the guy says, he looks up the address. Not only no, but hell no. <laughs> no way you can rent this shop and run a body shop in there. So zoning all wrong or something? Yeah, well, it was it was wood frame, all wood frame and wood trusses, and you know he was one of these guys that, you know, was scared of everything. Yeah. You know, I could have easily went in there and done my work right. and, and had no problem, but he said no. So that broke my heart. So then 
I go back to Modesto's and then I'm working on this uh, 32 coupe, uh, putting an axle in it, dropped axle and uh, for this guy, young guy, and he says, uh, says, and I told him this story. He said, my, my, my mother's in real estate. Uh, let me talk to her and you know see if there's any shops around that you might be able to to get you in. I can't afford that, but whatever, you know. So he talked to her and she came and talked to me and I told her kind of what I had to have. And so then she found a building that was a radiator shop. It was a radiator repair shop for 20, 30 years. And the roof, the roof was all rusted from the fumes <laughs> of the acid from the radiator shop. Yes. Thing. So, uh, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, and, and so somehow she put me in this building. So I got enough money to put a little down on it or whatever, so I bought this building. So then I'm in there and it's, it's cool. I got a nice big shop and, and I, I took my logo and put, put uh, departments, you know, louver department, paint department, and body shop and all on these hanging from the ceiling. My logo this big on plywood, see? And then, uh, so I'm doing good. Everything's, you know, coming along. I'm doing real good. And some people told me when I move up there, oh, you're going to lose your butt, you know, you're not going to make it. Yeah. You know? This is the, the famous Tully Road shop, right? Tully, 451 Tully Road. So, <clears throat> so the city comes along. I'm in there for, well, let's see. Oh, let me think a minute. I went in there in '55. Uh, yeah, '55. I think it was. Yeah. I think it was '55. It might have been earlier, but I think it was '55. So, in '57, the city came along, and then, and by the way, there was no, no curb out front. Mm -hmm. Say it was a narrow street with dirt, no sidewalks, no curb and gutter. Nothing. So the city comes along and they said, we want to widen the street and put in curbs and gutters and sidewalk and all that. And you have to pay for some of this. Wow. You know, I had to pay. And they were going to like eat into your property too while doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So we need 10 feet of your property, otherwise we can't do it. Mm. So I, and so the 10 feet that they wanted included not enough space for my front of my building. See, so it couldn't, it couldn't, couldn't work without cutting the building off mm -hmm. and moving the front back. So then <clears throat> after some negotiations and everything, they said, okay, we'll pay for <clears throat> cutting off your building and, and putting a new front on it. Oh, I can. Yeah. So that's how you got the facade. So I got, I got with a contractor and I said, here's what they want, and here's what I want to do. So I built a whole new section back in the back, a whole complete paint department, all out of stone, uh -huh. you know, a slump stone block, and put a new front and moved my office over here and put in a showroom and put an old new roof on it. And I didn't know that you could buy that, that corrugated sheet metal, you know, yeah. for years and years. You could buy it 25 feet long. Yeah. I can't believe it. So we bought 25 foot long sheets of that sheet metal. And I bought a new half inch, a big half inch drill motor. For some reason, this guy wanted me, needed this to, to do this job. I forget what it was. So he was 
a good friend, and he was letting us do some of the work, you know, on it. And so I still have this drill motor that I bought for $75. For doing the roof on the building? Yeah, it was a Sioux, I think. But I still have that. That and, and one time I was working on my trailer when I was building the reactor trailer, and I'm I'm drilling with this hole, and that thing caught and it twisted, oh, Jesus. twisted my finger. Oh, wow. And then another drill two years ago did the same thing. So my hand is screwed up in here from from that drill catching, doing that. So I don't I don't let that drill happen anymore. Yeah. I hold that sucker with my arm <laughs> and my body and yeah. everything. There's no way that drill's going to <laughs> No way it's going to get so get loose. What year did you do the J idle? So I built the Jane Isle. This guy, <clears throat> by <clears throat> by this time I was chopping and yeah. And, so what, what year is that? Because I want to like you're doing, you're lowering cars on Saturday. You're, you've got a <clears throat> luger out press. The chicken house. Yeah, chicken you're punching. Coop. You're yeah. punching lugers, lowering cars, putting different bumpers on. Well, first and, of all, I bought a luger press for seven hundred fifty dollars. And my wife at the time she says you're never going to make any money with that. <laughs> Ten cents a luger. And she's almost right, but but you know I started punching and, and now I'm punching punching two hundred louvers in hoods and stuff. So I end up I made money with it and it was a porter power unit and you'd have to pump the porter power. To Whoa! Punch. Oh yeah. yeah! You think how tired our arms got <laughs> after two hundred louvers oh, wow. pumping that sucker like this. See, and a guy just recently called me from back east and he said I have a picture of you. Buy your liver press, and I just bought one, and it looks like the same thing. Wow. I described to him, I bought it in San Jose, California. Well, well, Jimmy was just telling me about when you guys were eating with uh, uh, Gary from Good Times, yeah. and that he was uh, he was kind of telling me about him getting his original press back. Yeah. And because uh, and, and, uh, we were talking about that one when we punched that. You know, I, punched, hood. I punched all the livers for. Uh, after I moved to North Hollywood for Pete, for Pete and Jake, you know, that 33, that yellow 33 he had, I punched all those lures in the trunk and everything. Yeah. I got a picture of that. Yeah. But anyway, getting back to this so, so building, but like, or the Jada, well, you asked yeah, me about Yeah, so you're Jada. going from, you know, like you're not really doing full builds, like you guys are just customizing cars, but then the Jade Idol comes along. No, but before it came along, I sectioned a, a 58 Chevy okay. Impala. And uh, <clears throat> the guy came to me and he says, you know, I got X number of dollars, uh, do whatever you want, I'd like to have this car sectioned. So I sectioned it and underneath the moldings I prop riveted. Yeah. I prop riveted the quarters. Yeah, because he only had so much money. Yeah. Yeah, you told me a story. Yeah. The guy, so, guy was cheap. So that had to have been basically a brand new car, right? <clears throat> so then he brought me the, the 56 Merc and the same deal, he says, I got X number of dollars, I think it was $5,000, do anything you want. Anything you want, and then you can show it, you know, for a year under your name. So the Jade Idol, I sectioned it four inches, put the Chrysler rear quarters on it, and did all this work, and did and put some of my own money in it, see, because it, it wasn't enough money to finish it and paint it and upholstery it. A radical, radical upholstery job with a television set yeah. in the dash and everything. So then I took it on a tour. I sent guys on a tour all the way to New York. Milwaukee, back east, and, and they had one more show to go in Missouri on their way back, and they flipped the Jade Idol upside down Jesus. in the ditch. It was on a trailer with no brakes, and they 
you know, they flipped wow. it upside down. That happened to the solar scene also? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The solar scene, now that, that was in 64, and um, <clears throat> I was putting on my own show in Phoenix, so I put in a, put in a rod and custom show. Were in, you with AMT then? What? Were you working for AMT at the same time? No, no. not then. So I put, I had this uh, show in Phoenix and I was on the way home and it was like four o'clock in the morning. I was tired so I let my wife drive. And so she's driving and I had passed this old, uh, like a 30, um, 38 Ford flatbed, I think it was. And, and I'd come up behind him and he's going real slow. He's going about 50 miles an hour, see. So I passed him. So then I pulled over and let her drive and then he went past us. So then she came up behind him and he went to sleep and swerved in front of her. Oh, wow. So she hit the brakes and was all over the road. I mean, we slid from side to side, oh, wow. completely taking four lanes and then hit the side and flipped the solar scene upside down, towing with a uh, 64 Ford station wagon. Wow. And that wagon wow. was the best towing vehicle I had ever had. Did you That's wake really up to lucky. that? Oh yeah, I woke up. Yeah. I you, you were asleep and you guys Oh, I was asleep crash. on the passenger side. So I'm waking up and I'm trying to help her steer and I'm trying to tell her what to do. <laughs> and man, that sucker went, and then flips it over. It's, you know, four Is that your second wife? Huh? Is that your second wife? First, first wife, first Dolores. Wife. Okay. Yeah. It's lucky to walk away from that. That's yeah, so it skidded sideways and rolled the tire off the wagon. Roll the tire off the rim. And that's what the started to turn you over. You see? And, and then, then it started. And then the, the tire, the car flipped and twisted the tongue. Twisted the tongue. It was still intact, wow. but twisted like 90 so, degrees. Was it an open trailer? Yeah. Yeah, it was good. An enclosed size trailer wouldn't have been very normal back then, right? That no, wasn't very common no. at all. It was, I built sides on it and a front shield. Oh, okay. See, the sides, you know, this side had corrugated aluminum sides with my name all over the side of it you know Did you guys get same hurt? same trailer no it broke the rear window it, it tweaked that body so much in sliding the big rear window quarter window of the station wagon the curved glass uh -huh. popped out wow popped out so, in the street so the solar scene was like brand new well yeah it was it was fairly new i built uh i had it from uh, 60 62, 3, 4. Yeah, this was in 4. So then I had it insured for more than I could sell it for. I had it for sale at the time. I have I have some magazine articles where the solar scene for sale for 3,500. So I had it insured for more than that. So then so then I, uh, the insurance guy come over and they totaled it. See, and I got paid for it. So then I bought the salvage. Bought the salvage pack. So I took every single piece off of that body. I mean, there's nothing but bare body. And I torched it with a torch in pieces and put it in the dumpster. Wow. Torched it up and put it in the dumpster. Yeah. It's going to be a healthy feeling. And junked the frame. Wow. You know. Yeah. You bought it just to tear it apart? Well, yeah, to get all the parts, sure. So I have the. So then I sold the grill and two seats to my brother. He put them in a shoebox Ford. I had to buy the Ford to get those seats back. To Frank. So, Frank. Yeah. So I bought the bought the Ford and I sold it for a profit, and then, so I have the two seats and the grill, which are going in the 
filler scene which I'm building. Just sitting out back. Yeah. 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 That's cool. You were asking about the Jade Idol and a couple of things I, I'm sure you've been asked a million times, but the uh, the headlights on that are so distinct and unique. And you did something similar on a couple other cars like that. I guess what Yeah, the gear thing around the headlights. Yeah. Gold colored gear <coughs> arrangement around there. I told people that I had those cast. Uh -huh. I lied. <laughs> I told them that I had those custom made, see, because I, I didn't want to tell them what they were, sure. you know, because everybody would be using them, see. Then later I tell them what they are. So they're off of a uh, Crown Imperial hubcap. See, the Crown Imperial were gold and the regular Imperial were silver. These are anodized silver or anodized gold. So they were on a hubcap, they're 14 inch hubcap, and I pulled those gears off and put them right in the headlights, you know, new and never touched them. They so were, you feel like it's okay to let people know now? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Now it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's okay now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've told so lots of people in the past few that years. That guy was upset because you toured the car so much that everybody thought it was your car. Yeah. And it wasn't his. So it was it was Gene Winfield, the Jade Idol, and it wasn't really that right. guy's car. Well, see, yes, yeah, see, the owner of the car. So then, then when I wrecked it I, on the Jade Idol. Oh, right, yeah. On the Jade Idol, when I wrecked that, I didn't own it, but I insured it. Oh. I insured it personally. So I you got paid in writing. No, I in writing. I said if anything happens to this car, I will redo or replace or repair. See, so I did. I had to review the whole car on my money. So I redid it. So then he let me show it for another year, and I painted it a little different color, which wasn't near as impressive as the first color. And so I went ahead and showed it for another year. Then I gave it back to him. Well then. He drove it around a little bit, and he tried to show it, but he, he, uh, well, he, <clears throat> the thing was, everybody said that's Gene Winfield's Jade Idol. <laughs> See, it's not his. See, it was Gene. It became Gene Winfield's Jade Idol, and so that made him mad. After a while, after a while, after a while, everybody saying that's Gene Winfield. Then he, he wouldn't even drive it anymore. He got mad and he parked it alongside of his house. So it was parked there for six or eight years. And it started deteriorating and all cracking up, and the rats got in it and ate the upholstery and everything. So then, and I never, and I, but I always told him, I says, if you ever want to sell it, let me know, yeah. I'll buy it. Well, he was so mad at me because it wasn't his car anymore that he never, never would call me. See, so then a guy called me up one day and he says, I just bought this old dilapidated custom car. And, and they told me, you built it, you know. So uh, he bought it for, uh, I think, $250 or something like that, or maybe it was 750 I don't remember. Anyway, it was a very low figure, and I told this guy, I said, yes, that's the car, I built it, and anything you want to know about it, I'll tell you how to fix it or repair it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And if you want to sell it, let me know, I'll buy it. Yeah. So he turned around and didn't do nothing to it, kept it for six months and sold it to somebody else. Didn't call me. And then this guy called me up, Jerry Reem, Rin, Reen, from Salinas, California. So he started rebuilding it and he had Rod Powell help him and Rod Powell painted it. Yeah. And he should have had me paint it. But anyway, he redid it and, and it was really nice and first class and everything beautiful. So he showed it for a number of years. And then, and then he had it for sale, in fact, John D'Agostino bought it, uh -huh. <clears throat> and uh, but 
This car's just doing circles around you. Oh, yeah. So, first of all, this guy in, in Sacramento bought it. Uh, I think his name was Page, Dave Page or something. Anyway, Page bought it and then sold it to John D'Agostino, but with a 30-day limit that if something else, I don't know how he worded it. Anyway, so what it was is he got more money within the 30 days, he got more money, and he took it back from oh, John. Okay. Wow. John paid him some cash and lost some cash on the deal. Wow. Lost cash on the deal. And then this guy sold it. So John, uh, I think John was buying it for 12000 And this other guy paid 17000 And it went to uh, Denham, Massachusetts, where it is still there today. And he only wants five hundred thousand for it now. So do you see the yeah. irony in all this that Gene yeah. Winfield's Jade Idol never gets to be Jim, Gene Winfield's yeah. Jade Idol ever again? Yeah, like, I know. I know. Like, and, and it's like and the guy know, was mad because it wasn't his. And and it was another yours. strange thing. Another strange thing. Nobody. It's not funny. Nobody. No, I mean. Nobody's ever duplicated it. No. Yeah. Nobody's ever tried to duplicate. Was it. Was that your first fade though? How no, you... the first radical fade. See, yeah. I had faded several cars before that. In fact, my first, very first fade was a brand new Chevy in 57. Brand new Chevy, 57. It had 200 miles on it. Wow. And I, and I did a mild blend on that. Then I developed it more, you know, and kept painting some cars in between. So between 57, uh, uh, 57, let me think now. 57 Chevy, the Jade Idol I did uh, I did the chain island in uh, 59. I, I couldn't think there for a minute. I lost. did it in 59. So the Jade Idol came out in 60 to the public. came out in 60. So by then I, I just did my most radical fade with all different colors and sprinkled a little gold on it and, you know, did all of this neat stuff. And then it went all back east and it won everything. It won sweepstakes and it won best of poultry, best paint. You know, best engineering, all kinds of trophies. We had truck full of trophies. Yeah. We had to take them apart and put them in little pieces to get them home. So, what about Larry Watson? What's your What's the timeline like? Did you meet Larry around that time? And you guys yeah, are so, kind of both doing. So the first show I took it to in L.A. was Long Beach, and that would have been, I think, uh, in '50, probably before I made that trip back east. But it was a late winter. You know, late late fall or winter, I took it to Long Beach show. And I had it in there and we're cleaning it up and polishing it. So some of Larry's buddies went over to Larry Watson and they said, oh my God, Larry, you gotta go look at this car. This guy named Gene Winfield brought it down from Modesto and he went over there and just blew his mind. He just, unbelievable, you know, just couldn't believe it. And then also uh, Anderson, what was Anderson's name? Joe Anderson? What, Joe Anderson? Yeah. Joe Anderson had 20 cars. Wow. 20 cars in there. Jeez. And what he was doing, he was putting custom paint jobs in enamel. See? Wow. So he had enamel paint jobs that were blended a little or candies or whatever, uh -huh. you know, and they all had dirt in them and <laughs> just terrible looking, yeah. you know, compared to the normal first class, you yeah, know. 20 coats of clear. Yeah, see. Yeah, so, and then what about... What about Big Daddy? Like, like so. 
You're asking some good questions. Well, yeah, because they all—they're all—it's all like parallel. It's right. all happening. Right, right. So I, I met uh, Big Daddy at, at some shows, and and uh, he was a radical guy, you know. And I didn't have much to do with him, you know. But he was painting shirts, you know. He was painting T-shirts in various shows, all kinds of shows. And I go up and say hi to him all the time. And he kind of, you know, got acquainted, knew who I was. So then I. I wanted to have one of his cars in one of my shows. I had shows in Modesto, Patterson, California, and uh, in Phoenix. So I got a hold of him. I said, "Here's my card," and I said, "I want you. You have this car. Now it was the car that had the motorcycle on it. What do they call it? Oh, the uh, mega hauler, Captain Pepe's Captain Zephyr. Pepe. Yeah. Captain Pepe. Zephyr and motorcycle repair had the yeah. Triumph with an empty case on it. Right. Yeah. So he had this car, and I thought it was nice. It was, see, I like stuff that was different and asymmetrical, mm -hmm. so I loved it. And that little yellow car, the Surfite, Surfite yeah. yeah, that's the prettiest car you ever did. Now, see, he didn't design it. He huh. built it, but somebody else designed it. Yeah. I forget who now. Uh, might have been Taylor, Tom Taylor. Yeah. He worked with him. Yeah. But anyway, so I waited and waited and waited for an answer for this guy, and I'm about to run out of time to advertise, publicize for Roth to bring his car. Finally, I get in the mail a little package, and it was a roll of toilet paper, <laughs> about 12 feet long, and it was written all down this toilet paper, and it finally said, yes, I will come to your show. <laughs> and I, I wish the heck I had that toilet paper now, you know. Yeah. We had it around for a year or two, and then it went away. You know, needed it or it's just like, um, you know, um, right here in this room, uh, <clears throat> we have posters on the wall over here from Sid Mead. Yeah. And I have some Sid Mead's books over there. Yeah. Well, Sid Mead one year sent me a calendar. Now, it's a three-year calendar made of stainless because all this work he did was for U.S. Steel corporation, all the catalogs and all the posts. But he was an illustrator US. at Ford at the same time, right? Well, he's, he went through Art Center before it was in Pasadena. He went through the old Art Center that was down in L.A. and he graduated real high honors. We immediately went, for, went to work for Ford and in the Ford lobby, the, <clears throat> the Ford uh, Design Center lobby all had Sid Mead's pictures all everywhere, down the wall, around the building, in, in the lobby, all Sid Mead. So he did the first U.S. Steel catalog, and the director of Ford Design called him in with the book sitting there, and he said, Sid, this looks like your work. He said, yes, it is. He said, well, you shouldn't do this while you're working for Ford Motor Company. He said, okay, I quit. Walked out. <laughs> he made more money on that catalog than he made in a year at Ford. Right. That, Jimmy told me that, like yeah. a like a little like Jimmy would, a little more worry of a story. But he said that that yeah. they were like, look, we pay our illustrators really well, yeah. and you shouldn't be doing this. And then Sid, yeah. like you said, he, he said, well, you know, Not whatever. Well yeah. I'm so he walked more. out, and he's been on his own ever since. And I talk to him all the that's time. A, these are all U.S. Steel illustrations, <coughs> that's all right? U.S. Steel. That's so cool. They yes. all have explanations on this back leaf of right. what they are. So oh, yeah, and he shows illustrations on how to take it apart and build it and all that through all those catalogs. And uh, so, uh, 
you know, every designer that goes through any and all design classes throughout the world, Japanese, uh, no matter where, uh, art center in, in New York, you know, mm-hmm. every place, they all look at Sid Mead's U.S. Steel catalogs. Yeah. So we're just seeing today some of the stuff that he did in the 60s. You know, he signed this over here in 62. Wow. And then he was here in 02. How'd you meet Sid? I, uh, <clears throat> I met him at a show first time. At a car a, show? A car show. Wow. Yeah, I met him at a car show. And a guy that was doing some of the work in his books, you see, this was, he farmed out some of the backgrounds yeah. to this guy. Because they're water, they're painted, they're like oil paintings. Yes, so this guy, I met him. And so then later he introduced me to Sid again, you see, and, and you know, and so told him my book cars and so forth. So then he knew who I was. So then he moved out from back east, moved out to California, was living down halfway to San Diego. I forget that city down there. He had a nice house on the beach, him and his uh, Oceanside? Huh? Like Oceanside? Or? Yeah, 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 Oceanside. So he lived right on the beach in Oceanside, and I went down... Met him down there one time. So then then uh, Blade Runner came up, and I was already talking to one of the art directors at Blade Runner, and he said, Sid Mead is coming in. To the, so I went in there, and I met him again, and oh my goodness, everything was wonderful. And so then he invited me down again, and I had a steak dinner down there with him and his friend Roger, and um, <clears throat> so it was great. And... Um, so we've been good friends ever since the Blade Runner thing. Yeah. And uh, so in, in the, when they did that uh, DVD on me called The Kings of Customs, they went and interviewed Sid, and, and he talks in the DVD about yeah. me and so forth. So when, it's, when you did the custom car caravan, that was 62, right? 62. Was that before, Sid wasn't like with Ford at that time. Oh, no, no, Sid was, was long gone at Ford. Long gone before '62. Oh, he was he was at Ford in the '50s. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And so when you guys did, yeah, no, no one behind me dated '62. Yeah, it's, uh, his signatures dated '62, but but see, he did the first catalog in about that time, about uh, I think '60 '61. He might have done the first mm-hmm. U.S. Duke catalog. Okay. So, how did you get hooked up with Ford for the custom car caravan? How did I? Yeah. Um, they uh, uh, AMT hired a promoter a big guy named Don Beebe they hired Don Beebe to be the promoter to handle this Ford Custom Car Caravan they went to Ford and they said okay here's what we're going to do we're going to take our big track you know the big uh, 25th scale cars on a track, we're going to take the track around all these shows. We're going to bring in some top customizers. They're going to customize cars, Ford cars, and then they will have them on display and we'll do all this thing. So it was a big high dollar deal. And AMT worked that out with Ford. So then this guy called me. Um, he called me and George Barris and Alexander Brothers. And so, the, you know, some of the top customizers at the time, he called us and and said, uh, hey, we want you to come and, and be a part of this caravan thing. 
and and we we all signed an agreement, okay, and then they took our jacket size and they had uh, new gold jackets made and black pants and I still have the jacket. Uh, I can still put it on. I was say, is it fit? It's a, it's a little tight, but I can put it on. And it, it had Gene Winfield over here, and it had the cross, the Ford cross flags yeah. on it. And uh, so anyway, uh, that's how the caravan got started. And then they would alternate us to go to different shows. Like if it was a big show like Chicago or Detroit, they would have maybe more of us come there. Uh, if it was a smaller show like Seattle or something, they would only maybe have two of us go there and, and two go to this one. They took the cars back. They didn't make you guys haul them around, No, no, no. They? They, they contacted a company called Dearborn Steel Tubing. And, and the owner of that was good friends with the... Um, and the uh, who was in charge of Ford then? Um, the guy that went from Ford to Chrysler, Iacocca. Iacocca. Oh, the Iacocca was in charge, and this this guy that had had Dearborn Steel Tubing Company knew him well. See, I don't know what they had going. I don't know if there's any special deals, but they he knew him well. So they were already doing show cars for Ford. They were actually building and producing show, and so they agreed to haul this thing around the country. So they furnished the semi-trucks and, and the displays and did the whole thing wow. from Dearborn Steel Tubing. And um, his name was Andy Dihada. I can't think of his name right now. The guy, the owner of uh, Dearborn yeah. Steel Tubing. Yeah, the company still exists, but it was bought by, another, by other people and they changed the name. So it still has the same initials, but different names. See, so it was Dearborn, it would be Dearborn Steel Tubing, so D-S-T, so it still has the same initials, but it's, it means three different things now, yeah. and it's still in the same place in Dearborn. That Ford Custom Car Caravan, for me, it's such a, a fascinating thing because, like, I've always seen custom car builders as outsiders from Detroit, like, whatever was coming, like, brand new on the showroom for, we were out in California, you know, destroying what these designers came up with in Detroit but it seems like for this one really small period of time Detroit was listening like they were doing exactly like they were asking you guys to come in mm -hmm. promote their brand and yeah. at somewhere past there in the 70s they stopped paying attention stopped building the cars that people wanted but like, did it feel like it, it was more like accepting of, of yeah see uh, Detroit was watching what we were doing yeah. And I didn't know that. Okay, so I go to do AMT with a, a rendering that I had just finished of this car that I'm going to build. And um, <clears throat> this rendering was red in color, but it was what later became the reactor. Wow. So I had this nice rendering, colored rendering, and it was done by um, John Delphia. Now, John Delphia, um, he worked, actually, see, he lived, he lived 19 miles from my home in Modesto. He lived in Patterson. Oh. And I did a 36 Ford sedan for him when he was a high school type 
you know, going to college. Mm -hmm. So then he went to Art Center and went to work at Chrysler Interior. Later became in charge of all Chrysler Interior. And so Delphia, uh, so anyway, had this rendering at AMT and I'd like to show it around. See, I wanted to, I wanted to uh, get acquainted with people at American Motors, Ford, and I was already, I was already in with Ford, but uh, <clears throat> General Motors. Mm -hmm. So the, the art people at AMT knew the, the phone numbers of all these people, see. So I said, I'd like to meet uh, uh, jo uh, Jordan, uh, Chuck Jordan at GM, at GM, see. I'd like to show him this, this rendering. So I said, well, I'll call him up. So he calls up, talks to the secretary, and we conned her a little bit. <laughs> we said, uh, we heard from all over that Chuck Jordan wanted to see this rendering I have. <laughs> That's see? a good one. <laughs> and she says, well, I'll put him on. So he comes on. He said, well, hi, Gene, how are you? He knew all about me, uh -huh. see? He says, come on over. <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been waiting to meet you. That's a hell of a bluff. That's, yeah. that's what Evil Knievel did to jump the, the, in Las Vegas. He called and kept asking, are you guys going to have Evil Knievel there to do a jump? And they said, uh, I guess. And he that's kept great. calling every week. It's the same thing. Just tell him the opposite of the story. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. I did the same thing when I got my foot at the door in Hollywood. Yeah. See, I drove up to the, to the gate at Fox. Didn't know anybody. Had this you know, reactor on the trailer, open trailer. And I said, the transportation, I've heard that the transportation wants to see this car. He said, oh yeah, I'll go right down here, turn left. <laughs> and I went right in there and then he, he told me of all the other studio people, he called them up and he knew them all and, and gave me the addresses. So for two days, I took that car to every studio in LA. That's because I conned them a little. <laughs> That's pretty ballsy just to show up and like, oh, I'm supposed to be here. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes you got to do that. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's how I got my foot in the door. So I met Jordan and became friends. And so then every year, or twice, two or three, two or three times a year, I'd go to Detroit for AMT. And every year we'd go back and design the new uh, models before uh, six months or a year before announcement time. Mm -hmm. We would take a new Ford, a new T-Bird, a new Buick, or a new Tornado, or whatever, and we would do a custom version, so they had the three-in-one kits. Mm -hmm. They would build it as stock, or a race car, or as our custom. So then they put my name on the boxes, and some of them had my picture on the box, and so forth. I have some of those boxes in here. I gave them all away, now I'm buying them back for $100. <laughs> yeah. I bought five of them for, no, four of them for 500 bucks. Wow. Yeah, and the hardest one to find was, uh, was, uh, you know, T.G. Cat, the movie T.G. Cat. That was the hardest one to find. I paid 150 bucks for that one. Because it was a terrible movie? <laughs> yeah, whatever, it was just not enough of those kits were out there. Yeah. See? And my 40 Ford uh, sedan delivery shows up all the time. I Just at, at Gambino's just last weekend, they brought me two of them to autograph. Now that one was the one you didn't put the blue stripe on the front of it. No. It had the infinite lines on the back. Right. That kind of looked like neon, but it didn't have that goofy yeah. blue yeah. stripe. Yeah. See, on it. Uh, 
Tweedy, a guy named Tweedy, worked for me in Phoenix, and actually he worked for me in uh, a little bit of Modesto, and then Sam Foos came on, no, yeah, Sam Foos came all the way to Modesto, worked for me in Modesto, then I moved to Phoenix, Sam worked for me there, and then Sam worked, went to, went back to Santa Monica. We worked together there in Santa Monica. So I've known Chip since he's two years old. Wow. And, um, but Tweedy <clears throat> did a motorcycle tank at my shop with that similar design, laying the little eighth inch tape on there and painting these different panels, different color. And then Sam Foose jumped on it and did a, 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 a big panel. In fact, he did a, uh, he did a painting to take home to his shop, to his house. He did a painting, and then I did a four foot by four foot painting for my house, and we called it. We Sam and I put the name on it, Imagineering, so we call that Imagineering. Now different guys are doing it around the country, and they have no idea that I helped create that. Wow. Me and Sam, you know, created that Imagineering, but I had for years I had this four foot by four foot painting in my house, and then later, my after I got divorced. Uh, my ex gave it to Steve, my son. He had it for a, a few years and threw it away, got rid of it, went to whatever Goodwill. And then also I made a metal sculpture that I had in my house. It was made out of square and rectangular tubing, all different sizes of rectangular and square tubing. And I chromed the front edge only, and I flat blacked the rest of it. And this thing is four feet long, and that same deal went away. You know, well, someday it'll show up on eBay, and then you can buy it back for yeah, like twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, but but nobody knows that I did it. You know, there was yeah. no no name on it. So when did uh, when did when was Kelly Johnson your father-in-law? Well, my second wife. I married Kathy. <clears throat> was <clears throat> Kathy Johnson, and her mother married Kelly. Her name was Nancy Johnson. So Nancy, Kathy's mother, married Kelly, and uh, and so then that became my father-in-law, huh. right there. So, what what when was, was when would that have been in the seventies? Yeah, in the seventies, I was with him. I went to the hospital, and I was with him just before he died, huh. with Kelly. And he was quite a man. He was a big guy, huge, tall, tall guy. You know. He was six, six foot six or something, big guy, and he drank a lot. And with the astronauts, you know, they'd go out and boy, they had parties. And <laughs> you know, one of the nice stories that I always remember that Kelly told me, he built this plane, and he had a test pilot fly it to Europe and back. You know, went to Europe and back in just mm -hmm. a couple hours, and. Um, two or three hours, whatever it was, you know, maybe it was four hours each way. It was a slow plane. It wasn't the SR-71. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> the guy come back and he was cussing him out. He was mad as hell because he forgot to put a pee hole <laughs> in the plane. <laughs> and so he had, he had to hold it for four hours. Poor guy. Yeah, that's terrible that he got out in his supersonic plane and and then, had to wait four hours to yeah, go to the bathroom. Yeah, so then later, uh, Kelly was with the CIA, and um, he carried cyanide pills, 
and everything, you know, all the time. And, and they, they did some crazy stuff. They ship, they would ship stuff by uh, common carrier and he would take uh, ordinary planes, you know, uh, commercial airlines instead of Air Force planes to avoid being shot down and things like that. There was just all kinds of stuff that went on. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Did you stuff. learn any anything about like materials or design from Kelly? I mean, did he not? No, no. We really? we weren't allowed to talk about uh, you know the, the high security did, stuff. Did he, did he like what you did, or did he think it was? Futile? Oh yeah, no. He thought it was cute. <laughs> he thought it was cute as hell. The, the, the creations that I was doing, you know, he just thought that was funny and cute. You know, I just when 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 I moved out here. And that day that we went down to uh, Art Thompson's place, and you know Art was talking about one of the first fighters that he helped design, and then you know you mentioned that, that uh, Kelly had been your father-in-law. I thought, man, what we do with cars is so stupid. These guys are going into space and breaking the you know the, the, the going faster than the speed of sound, and we're just like lowering the top on a car. Yeah, and we think we're so great, and these guys are working in black ops, and it's all down the road, you yeah, know, with Lockheed. And you know, the SR-71 leaks fuel uh, like crazy until it gets in the air. And then, see, the, the aircraft going through the air creates heat, and the heat on the surface seals up the plane, wow. so it doesn't leak once it gets in the air. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. And they started it with, <clears throat> they got a hold of Mickey Thompson, and he built a, a Chrysler Hemi uh -huh. in a box with a shaft coming out of the box that goes in the bottom of the plane. And that's what starts it. Some of them were nail head Buicks. Oh, really? And most of them were were <laughs> So they use a combustion fuse. engine to turn a shaft. Yes, yeah, fire up the 392, a hopped up 392 <laughs> to turn that shaft to start that plane. Wow. That's really cool. That's crazy. But you were asking, uh, reminded me of one of the, the things I definitely wanted to talk to you about. Um, when did you start learning composite fabrication? And when did that start being a. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I learned fiberglass. Uh, you know, quite a few years back, I, uh, I started repairing some Corvettes, yeah. and so I did, uh, you know, some repair that way, and then later we started making molds and making some parts, small parts out of fiberglass and things, and so I, I've done that years ago in the 60s, and then uh, we didn't get heavy into it until in the 70s, and yeah. I started making my own parts and molds and bodies and stuff, so it's... It's unbelievable the technology that's out there now, and the uh, the fiber optics and, and, and just the you know um, just unbelievable the, the the things that are going on. And now they're they're going to build a whole body with the what do they call it? Three D printer. What with the three D printer? Yeah, yeah, three oh, D yeah. printing. You've got a certificate out there from like a plastics <coughs> institute. Or something like that from the 50s. Yeah. How did you get roped into that? Doing, <coughs> doing the taillights and the bubble tops? Or, I mean, yeah. what? I forget what I was doing, but uh, this guy uh, got a hold of me and he says, Oh my God. He said, That's fabulous and you ought to be in this uh, in this group. Huh. You know? What Did you have to do anything with them? Did you go to any functions or did they just. Yeah, I went to uh, one or two shows, one or two. Uh, composite or fiberglass type shows but it was it was interesting that uh, that they thought that my work was good Real. enough to be in the in their hall of fame so to speak yeah. you know interesting 
I definitely want to ask about the Galileo because, like I said earlier, I'm such a huge Star Trek fan. So that was <coughs> well, originally Matt Jeffries had drawn something. Okay, the way that came about, this promoter Don Beebe, who was promoting things for AMT Model Company, uh, he was a, a real go-getter, real, you know what I mean? He he had a, a certain knack on promotion that was unbelievable. He'd get on the phone and promote unbelievable for hours and hours and hours he'd be on the phone and he was a big guy heavy guy and a heavy drinker and at night in some of the shows we'd go out and uh, he would drink double beef eater martinis and we would allow him to drink maybe up to about seven seven or eight but if, he, <laughs> if he'd get up to ten he's liable to be on the floor and we can't pick him up so we'd get him up and get him out of there before it was too late, you know. But anyway, uh, he uh, went to the studios from from me getting my foot in the door with the reactor. Mm -hmm. So I had all the contacts. So I gave all the contacts to him, and he started promoting jobs to for AMT. What AMT wanted to do was us have us, and, and we created this speed and custom division which uh, he uh, he said he wanted to be close to L.A. but not in L.A. because of all the, you know, the retro, you know, all the... L.A.-ish. Yeah, yes. all the L.A. crap that's <laughs> yeah. going on. That hasn't changed well, much. Come, yeah. to find, come to find out later, he chose Phoenix, but he, his wife had a relative in Phoenix or their parents or somebody lived in Phoenix, whatever. So anyway... So we, we chose, I hope Don Beebe don't hear this, but we, uh, he chose Phoenix and, and he called me and he got the different people to do this Ford Caravan. Mm -hmm. So then he started calling the studios because we had this facility in Phoenix to build full-size vehicles. And so he would call them and, and say, hey, uh, get smart, we'll build you this car and give it to you free for the rights for AMT to build the model, mm -hmm. which they said, fine, we did. So then we got a hold of Star Trek and um, <clears throat> said, what can we do, what can we build? And so somehow with their conversation, they said, okay, you can build the shuttlecraft. And so AMT agreed to build the shuttlecraft free for the rights to produce the Enterprise huh. in a model kit. Uh -huh. So the Enterprise, of course, sold millions of kits, and so um, we built this uh, the shuttlecraft. I think it cost uh, it cost approximately fifty six thousand dollars wow. for us to build that, and uh, and we built it in a little over three months, uh, or no, a little over thirty days. See, so we went to uh, Don Beebe took me over there, and I met the art director who was Matt Jeffries, Walter M. Jeffries is his name. His nickname was Matt. So I met him and we became friends immediately. He was a very, very nice down-to-earth guy. And, uh, and I, he showed me the shuttlecraft that he had already designed. Mm -hmm. And it was a cute little thing, but it was all round. Yeah. See, it was all round, completely round. And I said, I can't build that in 30 days. So I can, I can build something else with flatter sides. And he said, all right, you go get a sketch or a rendering or you draw it up, bring it back and show it to me and if I like it, okay. 
So I designed it and with completely flat sides and these two jet tubes along the bottom and so forth. So then I took it to a company in San Francisco who we had been negotiating and doing some um, artwork anyway. So they put it into, uh, I was trying to think of the name of it, Design Corporation of America, I think. Anyway, they did a rendering for us, for AMT, and I took the rendering, a black rendering, to Matt Jeffries. He says, okay, build it. So he <clears throat> went home and, and uh, me and Sam Foose and, and 10 or 12 other guys, you know, we built it in a little over 30 days, 40, maybe 40, 45 days. We built the complete shuttlecraft. You, the, the full scale? The full size, wow. you know, about 14 feet wide and 28 did it feet long. What? Did it pull apart for the different shots? Or? Yeah, we had to, no, we had to pull the pods off to ship it. Okay. And we put it on a semi up on an angle, put the made body on a slight angle, and put the, took the pods off to ship it to L.A. from Phoenix. So it shipped like a hydroplane. Yeah. Yeah. But you guys built a second set to do interior shots. Right, so then we built... The, um, <clears throat> what did they call that? It's like a gallery they, or? Well, they, they have wild walls. Yeah. So we built the wild walls and then the studio finished them and, and uh, treated them. They painted them and things like that. And in the studios, in a lot of times, they'll have uh, uh, the, the wild walls, they, they make every four feet come apart and they're on wheels. So they can put up this whole side of the, of the spaceship and take away the other side over here. Mm -hmm. So they have all the cameras and everything. So they're shooting the point of view, what they call point of view. And the actors over here on the left side are talking to the ones on the right side. So the camera is over here. Mm -hmm. So then they change the walls, put up that wall over here, take this wall down and bring the camera over here. Mm -hmm. And they film the answer. <laughs> And so not, the actors are just like acting by themselves, talking oh, and, at cameras, and and not always on the same day. <laughs> oh yeah, in the studios, I've seen that happen several times. Where this guy is talking, I'm talking to you, David, right here, you know, and we're having this conversation, and then the next day, David's <laughs> talking back to me, and the the script girl, they always have a script girl that has the charts and she writes down notes of everything that's going on, she has to know exactly what he's wearing and how his hair is <laughs> and everything so that it can be the same so thing. So the continuity yeah. is right, yeah. The, the continuity. It's unreal what they do in, in the uh, Tinseltown, USA. <laughs> Did you guys spend a lot of time on set and watch them? Oh, yes. I, I've been on sets. I mean, I've been on Danny Thomas' show. I've been on uh, uh, I Spy. I spy with uh, with uh, Culp, you know what's his name, Robert Culp, and and Bill Cosby. Wow. Oh yeah, over and over and over. I've been been there watching them film and things like that. And I became friends with Bill Cosby, and uh, I was going to build a car for him. Yeah. You know, he had one of his things was Fat Albert. Uh -huh. You know, well he wanted to do a Fat Albert hamburger chain, <laughs> see, and he got together with some people and they had it all you know, down to the wire. And so I took my reactor and reworked it on paper uh -huh. and, and I had Fat Albert standing in it. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! <laughs> <You know? laughs>
And so I went to Bill and he okayed it and we we're about ready to start building this car. Then I went into him one day and he was cussing, he was mad, oh my God. I never seen anybody so mad. And uh, so the investors were trying to screw him over. Some way they, you know what I mean, they, they twisted the thing around so it wasn't going to be what he, what they originally said, you know, and, and so he was mad, so he killed the whole deal. Wow. So he just killed the whole deal. So right he could have a whole different legacy. Wow. wow, that would have been so different. Bad yeah. Albert Hamburger yeah. stand. That's right. That's crazy. And boy, we had it all planned and everything. It was ready to go. Are there any drawings of Fat Albert in the reactor? Do you have those anywhere? I don't know if I still have that. <laughs> Probably not. in a container I, in the back. And, yeah. and I took a mold off the reactor. Really? I took a mold Where'd off the reactor. My aluminum car. Wow. And and then I lost the mold. I lost the mold in a deal where... Uh, wow. Of so, all the molds we have laying out in the yard. I know. <laughs> but see, I had it in a storage yard, see. Uh, I had it in there and I had my old truck. We called it the Winfield Wonder. The, the truck that I went all back east with the man from Uncle Car. But anyway, the truck and the mold and stuff was in this storage yard. Somebody was supposedly paying my bill and they weren't uh, paying the bill. And then all of a sudden, I went over there, it's all gone. Oh, man. They took it away. Wow. Nothing there, gone. Crazy. You didn't pay that your sucks. bill. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable, unbelievable. So, so what, about, what about the rough years for customs? Like now, in let, me, let me back up just for one minute. <clears throat> now, years ago, <clears throat> I personally designed a car to be reactor two. And I have a sketch of that. Right. So Eric over in San Jose got a picture of that sketch. Now he's gonna build reactor two. Oh wow. He's right. gonna he's gonna start that and and it'll be my car. And it's gonna be rear engine. Right, because the Pacifica's the only one that we've got the second version of. Because yeah. even it's a little different than the original because you left you didn't put that flat peak in the nose this time. You left the bubble, so it's a little bit different. Very, very little. Though. Yeah, but it's it's, it's pretty true to form. But there's we've got the drawings for the solar scene too. Yeah. That we found in that box the other day, those copies. Yeah. So there's the solar scene two drawings, and then yeah, I've got I got six vehicles that are all drawn up that I want to build. I just gotta. Right, and some of them are second enough versions. years to build them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's, what's it like doing a version two of a car that you built? So well, like you, you, you bring some of the same features into the new car, yep. you know, some of the shapes or designs into the new car just so it associates, but then it is different. Mm -hmm. It is so radical that it is wild. It's a, it's a wow factor. Yeah. You see, oh wow, look what he did. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's, that's what we do. See, every builder, uh, even today, the, um, the customer, the customer has a, uh, uh, he makes a statement. I like to say that the customer makes a statement with their car. Mm -hmm. And so each statement, they try to outdo the other guy or they try to have some features on it that are a wow factor, mm -hmm. that are just totally outrageous, different, whatever. Yeah. Where do you think... Are there any hard points when you were defining your style? I mean, granted, you've had seven decades now to create your style, but 
like, do you feel like meeting Sid or working with like Big Earn and, and these different artists? How do you think your style changed because you got the lake pipes that came out of the fenders, but they're just dummy pipes? Like, like you know, it's all like the tube grill, you know, the uh, very eccentric tail fins. Like, there are modifications on things that existed, but you've got a futuristic style, and like you have a heavy like I feel like you have a like a real smooth. And there's the color is such a big part of the design too. Um, like, do you feel like that evolved, or do you feel like you've been? I mean, of course it evolves, but you know, do you feel like your style went really far back, and you've kind of been doing the same thing and changing it, or was there well, something yeah, that I, really changed it for you? I I I want to say that I'm kind of leaning back towards the asymmetrical thing yeah. that we did, and and but I've always wanted things kind of smooth. And pleasing looking, you know. And some years ago, we would get the Eastern magazines that would have the Eastern customs, and they did some beautiful work on them, but the front maybe didn't relate to the back. Mm -hmm. See, so they were totally, totally different. It's just the guy worked hours and hours and hours, hundreds of hours maybe, and, and doing this nice work, but then it didn't flow. See, it didn't flow, and it just automatically I'd look at it and say, well, there's an Eastern custom. East Coast know? customs, too, they seem like there's a lot of um, uh, additional shit on them, like bubble skirts and like yeah. and like you're talking about, like you like yeah. things like smooth and flowing right. and it's just and a, so, a different so thing. So now, now back East, they've merged together so that it's all pretty much the same. It's still one or two guys might be doing some radical stuff. That's different, but most of them, most of the designers and the builders are all kind of doing nice, pleasing, pleasant work. Well, custom, customs aside, uh, and, and, you know, custom trends aside, but do you, do you feel like, um, you know, you're self-taught, so you didn't go to a design school, so... Right. I mean, from the very beginning, you you were like seeing these things, but I mean, is there any point where you just I don't know, like it's it's always been natural for you, hasn't it? Just seeing yes, design pretty much. But in 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 being in in this business this long, and I've met so many designers and so many nice people over the years that I've learned to um, well, I've picked up things. You see, I've picked up ideas or I picked up designs or styles or whatever just by talking and working with these different people see and, and especially like Big Earn see Big Earn was really a sports car nut and and he would draw all of his sports cars all the time and his sports cars he signed his name backwards his last name his last name was Graves Ernie Graves and he signed it backwards and it was like Seagarves you know <laughs> And, and so anything he did that he liked, he would sign it that way. And then everything he did for me, he, he put Big Earn on it. See, he put Big Earn on it because that was, that was a style or a thing that we were developing over the years, see. And, and he died very young. And, um, but he had a bad arm, see, that almost nobody knew about. And, but he went to Art Center in L.A. before it was over to Pasadena. And he was so arrogant that he couldn't get along with the teachers. You know, he was there only a year, year and a half. He didn't complete 
the deal because he was just uh, too much of a wise ass or whatever, you know, and, and so arrogant that he, they couldn't teach him anything, you know what I mean? But he was good. He was very good as far as he went, you know. And uh, some of the some of the uh, artists out there are self-taught, and they didn't go to an art school, and they're and they're very good, you know. But I learned years ago just by <clears throat> talking with some of them how how you shade an object, or how you you know you look at an object, and the sun is reflecting the highlights down, which creates part of the design. And the design has to relate to the natural sun, and, and that's when I paint my blended jobs. I know where the sun is going to hit, and so I blend them accordingly. And uh, so like in, in a chrome rim, when you, when you draw a chrome rim, you, you have blue in there from the sky, and then you have brown tones in a certain place that, where that rim is reflecting the earth. Or the the street or whatever it is, mm -hmm. so that's so I learned those kind of things way back, and and even though I can't draw very good, but I know what what's really happening. See, so I can take a sketch and I know how it's going to look when it's done, and then I can have an artist refine that or or make it into a beautiful thing. But I know already in my mind exactly what it's going to look like. You build shit in your head first. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That. I've noticed, Gene, I've noticed that working with you that, you know, there's a lot of things where you'll say, well, we'll do it like this and it'll come out this way. And I'm like, I know you already see it. <laughs> and, and that part always, it always impresses the hell out of me because you've got the vision. It's there. Like I, and, it, and that's why we have the jobs that we have is because customers can't see it. If they could see it and do it, then we wouldn't have jobs. But right. you know, we can visualize it. But you've got it. You've got that sense. It's very great. But uh, and on that point, do you think having seen hot routing, the whole thing, yeah. if hot routing was a movie, the history, Gene Winfield has seen the entire thing. Right. Yeah. From from you know dry lake bed racing to you know now, do you think there was a high point? Do you think that that you know Customs and street rods and, and hot rods are, are at their best, or do you think there was a better time? And no, I think that uh, I think custom cars are gradually on an uphill deal. I think street rods are leveled off, kind of leveled off. And see, the older people that were in high school and they couldn't afford a car when they were in high school and they couldn't afford a custom or a hot rod now. In, in later life they can't afford and they're building and they have built their hot rods. Some of them are now changing to a custom so they can haul more people or they can haul their family or something in there. See, so I think that is, has been taking place in a, in a few years now. And uh, the younger people coming up are uh, more into the, uh, what we call tuner cars and they're, they're uh, and we call them rice burners just as a, as a nickname from right. Japan, of course. But, um, but those cars, and they're racing them. They're spending really high dollars on those small engines and, and racing them and doing the drifting and all that sort of thing. And I like to see all of it, I think. And, and, and a big thing, a big 
part of the industry now is is what we call the rat rods or the creative hot rods and uh, and those things uh, there there is some of the people you know maybe we'll, we'll call them farmers or something that maybe they're building a car in their barn and they're picking all a bunch of junk and putting it together barbed wire and right. and all this and some of them are really junk but then on the other hand some of them have an unbelievable amount of engineering going on because the way they, they're lowering them way lower than we ever did mm -hmm. and still have a suspension but of course airbags and things are involved now but but the way they mount the spindles you know down and reverse springs and and mount the spindles on the on the wishbones and things that they're doing that we never thought of back then and uh, of course a lot of them they're they're making them they're rusting them on purpose you know well we we might have run around with a little bit of rust but mostly primer and and the reason we primed them is because we couldn't afford to paint them right. so then eventually we might have painted them but now they're they're creating the rust on purpose and they will never paint them and it's just they a call fat, that patina yeah these patina days. <laughs> they're putting the patina on them and so they're creating that as as being different and creating an image and and like I say some of them are just wonderful engineered uh, pieces of equipment and then other ones are just totally junk yeah so what about what about in the rough years like there's a time you, you worked at AMT and then in the 70s and the 80s you had to do other things because customs weren't so hot well you, the whole gas thing happened well no, what, what created that difference really was the muscle cars. See, the muscle cars came out in the late 60s, uh, you know, 67, 68, 69, whatever. The late 60s, the muscle car thing, and, and they started doing in Detroit what we were doing before. They were putting uh, bucket seats and four on the floor and, and lowering them and, and big pipes and special mufflers and, and lower silhouettes like a section job. Mm -hmm. So the factory come out with these, what we call muscle cars, and, and this totally ruined the custom car business for a while. So when that happened, I had no business at all. I mean, it just went <laughs> down the drain, you know, yeah. overnight practically. I couldn't find anything to do. And so then I started doing movie, movie and television uh, commercials. I started, first I started doing commercials and I did lots and lots of commercials. My new book is is just movie cars and commercials, which I have out now. And uh, so I did that for a number of years, and <clears throat> then uh, <clears throat> they called me from back east and wanted me to come to a custom car show. And no, first they, they wrote to me, they sent me a flyer on a, on a car show and they with a letter asking me to personally make an appearance. I threw it in the trash. You know, I didn't have anything to do with it. So then, then uh, a little later, or maybe the next year, the guy called me and personally, and he said, hey, I'll pay for you and your wife to fly back here. We'll make out a flyer so you can sign autographs. I want you to come to this show. And so I said, okay, I'll, I might as well. What the heck? You getting paid for it, you get a hotel. So I went back there and then I said, wow, it's already happening. It's the custom car scene is still here or it's happening again one or the other you know so i immediately jumped on it and started making a few parts for mercury's and and got back into it and 
and uh, put out some feelers, and all of a sudden I'm I'm building custom cars again. See, and so it was a great thing, and so now I'm I'm doing uh, mostly custom cars, and uh, I did, and then I got into movies, and um, the movie business was okay, but then the commercials they got to the point where they they didn't want to pay, and they want everything overnight. And then finally, I and I got screwed around over a couple of big movies, and um, so I just said the heck with it, walked away, and then I moved up here to Mojave, and I never went back to any of the studios. Yeah. Once in a while, they call me, and and uh, I'm just not interested, you know. I wouldn't mind doing one one more big movie, just for fun, you know, yeah. big movie. But see, and partly the difference is now. When they were getting ready to do a Batman movie, they called me, and I designed Batmobiles and Joker mobiles and all these cars. and And Sam Foose was with me at the and on the first go round. Sam Foose was with me, and he designed a Joker car and and different ones, you know, which I have artwork on all that. And um, in fact, Sam lost all of his artwork in a fire wow. uh, many years ago. He lost all these pictures and and all kinds of artwork and pictures, everything. He lost everything in a fire. So <clears throat> anyway, uh, so the, uh, then when, when the Batman thing came along, I had artists create big artwork, you know, nice full-size artwork for the Batman movie. Mm-hmm. And I took it over to Warner Brothers and um, he said, okay, that's beautiful, we'll let you know, and they showed it around and whatnot. And then he started calling me, and he says, well, he says, uh, you want to come get your artwork? He said, it doesn't look like we're going to do this thing, at least not right now. So I said, no, just leave it there, leave it there in case they decide to change their mind. So a year or two goes by, and uh, he kept calling me every six months, you sure you don't want to come and get this stuff? No, no, we'll just leave it there. So then he finally called me and he says, hey, they're going to do the movie, but they're going to do it in England. So here's your contact in England. So I called England and they said, oh no, no, nothing can be done in the States and all got to be done in England. You know, we're going to do it right here. So the guy gave me my artwork back. So that was, uh, you know, a bummer there. And so I've had all kinds of them like that, that that got, you know, almost up to the stage of building and then all of a sudden they they bomb out, you know. Pontiac did that to you too though, right? Yeah, yeah, I I did. I designed uh, parts for the Trans Am and I did that with Harry Bradley. And Harry Bradley is a fine artist. Uh, He's, I think he moved to San Francisco now. But Harry Bradley is great, fabulous. And Harry had... He already knew that the Trans Am was coming, and he sort of knew what it was going to look like. So we couldn't call it Trans Am, we called it Can Am. So Harry did beautiful big artwork for me called Cam Am, and I still have that artwork. So <clears throat> then I got together with, uh, with uh, Pontiac Styling. Pontiac Styling only had one studio. And Chevrolet had three studios, three styling studios. Pontiac had one, and Buick had one. 
Cadillac had one. So they, uh, it ended up they used me, but what they did was they had me design these parts, then I made prototypes, they give me a Camaro to work on, and I made a hood, made these different parts and everything, and in, in, in Phoenix did this at, at uh, Speed and Custom Division. Shipped the parts back to Detroit, flew back there, installed them on the car, painted the car, and I painted it silver. And it was the first and only Trans Am that was ever silver. There's never been a, a Trans Am produced in silver. So DeLorean, they called DeLorean, John DeLorean was a head of Pontiac, he'd come down and he chose and he picked, uh, you know, six out of seven or six out of eight of these parts to be produced for the Trans Am. And this is a year, a year or two before announcement time. So then they had me bid on making these parts for Pontiac by the million, you know, and I had to split pennies with, you know, and, and get a hold of companies and they wanted everything done in Detroit if possible. So I had to call all kinds of companies. So six months I worked on this thing for Pontiac and figured out what it's going to cost to produce all these little parts and pieces for the Trans Am. And I presented them with this thing and they said thank you. So then what it was, they ended up getting another styling studio because of me, because Pontiac says, we can't do that outside. That has to be done inside. So, well, we don't have, we don't have time, we don't have people. So they got another Pontiac studio. We'll see you, Gene, we don't need you. Did they use the parts that you guys designed? They did. Wow. They did. They went into production. They went into production and, uh, and they're on all the Trans Ams for several years. And then they later changed them a little bit. What stuff was that? Was that like... Side scoop on the front fender is the most predominant. And then I made a, a new hood, a double, double hood with scoops in it, uh -huh. and a trunk lid, and uh, a little uh, inlet in the front. Uh, for uh, air for brakes and they, I mean, they didn't do that one I forget but anyway so you made the double hood scoop Trans Am hood you designed yeah, that yeah huh. yeah yeah that's crazy yeah yeah I have the original artwork on that wow <clears throat> so then here uh, a couple of years ago a guy called me up and he says I have this prototype Trans Am I want you to come down and do an interview with me at the Peterson Museum. Mm -hmm. So we went down to there and we got up on the roof. They had a Trans Am sitting there, but it was not the original one I did. So they had a, a white and blue car sitting there and they filmed it and filmed me and filmed the artwork and did a big interview with me about this Trans Am. And then even, let me back up a minute, a guy named Lamb forget his first name, he lives in Stockton, California. He put out Camaro and Trans Am books by, uh, by uh, the book company, you know. So they, all those, and my name is in there and on the Trans Am and everything in that Trans Am book. But anyway, he did this nice big interview on the roof there and uh, so forth and so on. So then I didn't hear from him. He paid me 
a few bucks for being there. So then I go, two years ago, I went to um, Barrett Jackson in mm -hmm. Scottsdale, and I'm walking along looking at cars, and then all of a sudden, here's that Trans Am, a silver Trans Am. And I walked up, and he said, oh, Gene, he said, I'm so glad you're here. Oh, my God, I want you to go on the block with me with this car. So he paid me some money. We went on the block. You didn't even know it was going to be there? I didn't know it was going to be there. Wow. So it's kind of a big deal. Like the the whole week was like that. Huh. Everything I did, every place I went was just like that. Huh. Didn't know anything was happening. Did that car have a VIN? Yeah, it did. That one had a VIN. So, so that car went. Uh, I was up there, and it went for two hundred eighty-five thousand. Wow. Two hundred eighty. Yeah, two hundred eighty-five thousand. So then. When was this? Two years ago. Two years ago, Barrett Jackson. I didn't go last year. So I go to this little auction, little, uh, and it's in a parking lot of the May Company in Scottsdale. Smallest auction they have over there, see? We had breakfast a block away. This is a little auction, they put up a tent, you know? And they, had, they only had 20-some cars in there. That's it. But they were all high-dollar Cobras, and they had an unrestored Cobra that went for $2 million or something like that. I couldn't believe it. Unrestored piece of shit. You know, my God. So anyway, but I walk up, and here's this be beautiful blue carpet out front. They had two cars. They had a, I think it was a Cobra. Cobra sitting over here, and then this 33 Ford Roadster sitting there. Beautiful car. So I'm walking up, and I start to look at it. This guy comes up with a, suit and tie on, you know, by me. He says, Gene, he says, oh my God, I'm glad you're here. He says, what can you tell me about this car? So I told him everything about the car. I told him, well, it's got a 39 transmission and it's got uh, early rear end and it's got Kent Mark brakes. And, you know, I told him all about this car, see? He's just thrilled to death, see? And, and I says, well, you're gonna, obviously you're gonna try to buy it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I wanna buy this car. So I said, well, I'm, I'm looking in there at the auction, and it, it's the only hot rod. All of them are these, you know, high-dollar foreign car Bentleys and whatever, Rolls-Royce. <clears throat> so I said, well, with this crowd, I think that you ought to be able to get this car for about 150, 150 grand. It would be tops, I would think, this car. Oh, that'd be wonderful. So then I go through this place. Oh, no, no, I go... I go up to pay to go in there, and they want forty dollars. And I look at those cars, and am I, am I going to pay forty dollars to to look at twenty twenty cars. Rolls Royces? You know, <laughs> right. they hadn't never started the auction yet. They're getting ready to start the first auction. So this guy come over and plank down the forty bucks. The guy that I had just told him about his car. See, I never knew him, never seen him before in my life, but he paid my my forty bucks. So I go in there, and we look around for thirty minutes, and. First car went for four hundred fifty thousand, and next one went for two million, and you know shit like that. So we, in thirty minutes, we're out of there. So I go to the next auction, and it's uh, silver steel. Wait, wait, did he get the car? What? Did he get the car? Well, I found oh, we're it still later. Going. Yeah, he bought it. Okay. For two hundred and fifteen thousand. He paid. So one other guy wanted that car. Yeah. What, see. What was it? A thirty-six. Thirty-three. 33 Ford Roadster. Nice. Yeah, Arden overhead. 
Oh, okay. Well, yeah. then, yeah. No, okay. It was a nice car. All right. That's the, I was going to say, otherwise, what the hell? Yeah. No, no. All you need is two people that really want something. Yeah, yeah. Well, two no fools met. Bruce Myers was there. Bruce Myers, see, he could have bought it. He's got a collection unbelievable. You know, he owns a, a silver and uh, a crystal company in Beverly Hills. But anyway, Bruce has got a fabulous collection. I have not seen it. I've seen pictures of it, but I have not been there. And he's invited me. I just haven't made it. Is that the same? Is that the Myers Manx guy? That's a totally no. different guy. Different so. guy. So anyway, uh, I didn't see Bruce Myers there, but later I found out that he talked. This guy talked to Bruce Myers and asked him if he was going to buy it, and he said no. So anyway, he <laughs> has a, see what he, this guy in. has the guy that bought it has a fine art collection back in New Jersey or somewhere back east. Really nice man. I've met him since then. And that's when he told me that he paid two something. So anyway, I go to the next auction and I pay the 20 bucks to go in there and, and they have four tents with about 400 cars in each tent, you know, but they weren't quite full. They were a little light this year. So I see a roadster on the first car of the second tent. I see this black roadster sitting there. So I just went straight over to that roadster. I didn't, I didn't go to this first tent. Went straight over to see what it was, you know. And this guy says, hi, Gene. He says, I heard you were here. So the guy with the suit had just told him that I, <laughs> I was there. So before he went back to buy the roadster. So anyway, so, and, and you know, and I, I didn't recognize him at all. Didn't recognize him at all. He had no hair and I, you know, hadn't seen him for a few years, so. Anyway, <clears throat> this is a roadster that I worked on. So, I first worked on this roadster in 1948. It was a high boy, no fenders. And that guy burnt me for $200. He, I had his keys and I did a little bit of work on it. He owed me this money. And he came and got his car and he had another set of keys and he backed it over a telephone pole. A complete full-size telephone Jesus. pole laying on the ground. He backed it up over that to, to steal his car. Instant karma. Anyway, so then I worked on it again in 56, and this guy that I worked on, a good friend of mine, and his wife worked for a chrome shop, so he chromed all underneath of it, chromed the rear end and everything. Really nice. Chromed it really nice. And I took the bumpers off, and I put a stainless thing behind under the grill, I don't understand why you worked on it a second time if the guy stole his car. <laughs> no, 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 different guy. Oh, different guy. Like he sold it from the other Different owner, owner. totally yeah. different owner. I put fenders on it. We put <laughs> fenders on it. Yeah. We, yeah. Put, we put fenders on it, and then it might have had bumpers on it. I took them off, whatever. Anyway, put aluminum thing over the gas tank and just did a lot of neat stuff, see. Then, then Pete had this car for many years, showed it, showed it in my shows, and had it, and then... <clears throat> Another mutual friend of ours come out from Arkansas that I had done a 57 Ranchero for, uh, Bob Whitehead. He came out and traded Pete a nearly new Corvette straight across for this roadster. Took it back to, and it had a beautiful flat in it, took it back to Arkansas, put the Arden in it, and then he drove it and had fun with it for several years, many, many years. So a new, he finally sold it. The new guy brought it to me. I worked on it again for the third time, 
and and took the bumpers back off and went back to that 56 version and 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 I put uh, blue ghost flames on it here in Mojave and uh, painted it repainted it black with blue ghost flames and and you know did a nice little job on it and that's who owned it now this guy named Chris and he said, oh, I'm glad you're here. I want you to go up to the auction with me with this car, see, on Saturday night. So I arranged to do that, and we had it all set up. And, and um, <clears throat> he had a reserve on it. Uh, I think he had a reserve of 200000 um, And then while I was there that night waiting for him to go up, this young fellow come over to me and says, hey, he says, there's a, there's a Merc over here. And I had already seen this Merc in the daytime. He took pictures of it. He says, this Merc and this lady, I want you to meet her. It's going up for an auction. So I go over and I meet this lady, nice looking lady. And so I'm going to go up the auction with her, with that car, which I didn't have anything to do with. <laughs> and so both of these, we had it all arranged with the auctioneer down on the floor. And well, the auctioneer is up high and then there's a guy who's on the floor with a mic that's talking about the car and hyping it, see. So we had it all arranged and it said, we'll let it go up until it stalls. And as soon as it stalls, then we'll put you on and you start hyping it and, and then we'll it get, get it going again, yeah. see. Well, as soon as it stalled, the auctioneer says, get rid of it, push it out. It's all done. It went up to 156000 or whatever and, and they just pushed it off and didn't give me a chance to talk. And the same with the Merc. The Merc went up to, she wanted, uh, she had a minimum of 75000 on it. And I told her, if you get, if you get 60, you better sell it. Or 65, you know, because it's hard to sell a Merc. Yeah. You know, full custom, beautiful chop, flames, everything. So both of them, same deal. When it's stalled, gone. Wouldn't let me talk at all. Wow. But it, the whole week was that way. It just had a ball. Everything I did, every place I went. And that's when we wound up with those 40s from Boyd's, too. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but back to the roaster, when I first walked up, this Chris says, um, I have uh, I have a few things I want you to autograph. And so I said, yeah, okay, let me look around these cars. I'll come back in a little while and we'll autograph. So he had a magazine with the article on the car. He had a poster. And he had a book, <clears throat> an album, photo album that I made a photo album that inside of it, there was a note from, a, it says, hi Chris, here's the photo album I told you about. Have fun, enjoy your car. Right. See, so, and it was signed something Ash. Well, the photo album I made for Ford Motor Company for Dave L. Ash. I put his name, I embossed his name in gold and I was calling my company Automotive Originals. So I embossed Automotive Originals on this green photo album and, and had my logo and everything on there. And so I gave this to Dave Ash, but this, this note said Ash, but Dave Ash had been dead for 20-some 20, 20 years, see? So it was his son found out that this guy had a Winfield car and gave him this photo album. Oh, wow. So now, get this, the guy I'm with has, the, and now in the photo album is the first Ford, Ford show cars that I did. Ford show cars, four, okay? So the guy I'm with has the fifth show car that I have, that I did. 
with no VIN number, see, uh -huh. the fare lane. So I had already been to his place and painted it for him exactly like he did. He's restoring it. He took the car all apart. The bumpers on the inside of the bumpers had Winfield and a date written on them wow. and everything. So he is a fairly nut. So <laughs> Marty View is his name. So every nut and bolt, every nut and bolt is new, authentic to that car. Wow. Every nut and bolt. <laughs> throughout the whole car is new and proper, authentic for that car. Wow. Everything. He found the original engine, he found the original intake manifold, and I found him the peacock metal flake interior fabric and the, the peacock paint, I found him. We found the Anson shifter. That, that thing had like two fours on it, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a really special intake and it was yeah. Yeah, yeah and I put I put those yeah. scoops in the hood, those four four deals in the hood that I cast, had them cast special out of aluminum. Yeah. So he's still got the car's all done now. It's now upholstered. Now he's just got to finish a few things, put it together. He's got over 200,000 in it, I think. Wow. I don't know for sure, but so he's got a lot of money in the car. When you're building something like that the first time around, do you have any like sense that it's going to have this life afterwards? Like it's no, see, Ford, Ford gives us a car that is what they call an engineering prototype. Okay, it has no VIN number, no serial number, can ever, ever be sold. So the engineering prototype is a car that they put together to test everything on the car. Mm -hmm. So everything has a color. The master cylinder is a different color. The, these coil springs are a different color. Every single part on the whole car, the rear end has numbers on it, has names and, and everything, and all of that's still there. Wow. He's got it back together with everything exactly the way it was. Unbelievable. So, yeah. See? And, and they test, you know, they go out and they drive the hell out of it for days and days and days to test the shocks or whatever. See, that's an engineering prototype. And so Marty, they gave this to a dealer to make a show car, I mean to make a race car out of it, and they didn't do it. They pulled the engine, let the car sit in the weeds for seven or eight years. Marty found it, knew what the car was, and he bought it, and he's been working on it for seven years. Wow. Wow. So, so one of these days we'll go to Barrett Jackson. So you got it, you got it and restyled the body, did the hood scoops and... For and, Ford. Right, but... And then, Under, but you only worked on the exterior, and the underside kept all, all those all numbers and original. stuff were still right. down there. Right. So then the Alexander Brothers repainted it once, and somebody else repainted it. Dearborn Steel Tubing repainted it. So it was three different colors. And, and he's found all these colors and went back to my original color and stripped it all and started over and redid the whole thing, and wow. it's fabulous. Huh. It's fabulous. That's got to feel good, like seeing something like that. Like, yeah come back and like... There's one piece of molding. <clears throat> See, I made moldings out of straight stainless stock. I bought stainless square and rectangular tubing from a stock company. And they, they made moldings for refrigerators and things. And I twisted them and shaped them, did things with these moldings. So there's one piece of molding. You couldn't find anybody for a while to, to straighten it. One piece of molding, you know, about three feet long. 
he finally found a guy that did it. it cost him seven hundred six or seven hundred dollars to straighten that molding repair it but he wanted that original molding on there if you come that far though like yeah you got it yeah that's a really obscure car too yeah i mean that thing's just like far out in left field as possible must have really got him by the brain banana yeah <laughs> <clears throat> all right you guys want to take a break yeah let's take a siesta yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm trying to think if we had any other. Uh, this thing on? Uh, yeah, yeah, we're back on. Uh, covered so much ground. What's your all-time favorite car that you did? Well, that's hard to say, but with the custom cars, probably the Jade Idol. Yeah. Jade Idol and the Solar Scene, and then with the aluminum cars, probably the Reactor. I just uh, went down. It was just on Jay Leno last Wednesday night. Wow. And. Uh, we finally saw it he there. He has a new show, right? Was it that? Huh? Doesn't he have a new show? Yeah, like he has a, Yeah, it's called uh, Jay Leno's Garage uh, TV show. And so we were on there for about five minutes. And I went down and drove him around and everything. It was really great. And it was a good episode because they went out here to NASA, Edwards, oh, wow. and showed some new stuff. And it was really nice. Nice episode. What do you think about uh, your influence on, well, several generations now, and for maybe, what, 20, 30 years you've been doing the classes? Mm -hmm. Maybe the last 20 years? When did you start yeah. those? In the 90s? Yeah. So, you know, and there's, I've met a lot of guys that said, you know, my first metal class when I went to jeans. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you open up the horizon to a lot of these guys. So... How do you feel? Do you do you ever go out to a show and you see something that's a direct influence from you, or you see guys that yes. you, you started and you yes, you I, them I get meet going I meet people them? all the time, and and uh, even at the very last last weekend at uh, Gambino's, I had a guy come up and he says, uh, actually two of them, he says uh, two different occasions, and they said you're the reason that I got started in this business, and I went to your class, and and uh, I've been using your some of your techniques for years and wow. and uh, so forth. So it was great. It's, it feels makes me feel good, you know, that <laughs> I'm good. able to to get those. And I got a few Christmas cards. You should see some of the notes in the, in the Christmas cards, where it says that uh, that I touched their life and and helped them get started and on and on and on. You know, so it's very good and very gratifying to to hear that. You know. I was talking to John in the office when I was sitting in there, and he said that like the last couple of weeks, it's like your mail has just been a deluge oh, yeah. of like just Christmas well, I've, cards. I've sent like, out, I've sent out uh, about 150 cards. I was gonna say I saw some of the cards going out, and what I got out of the mailbox today, I felt like were the replies to some of those cards. <laughs> that's true. Some of them. Some yes. of them <laughs> I was I, like, I, here's the return card. Right. That's right. So I've. Uh, I've sent out about 150, 140, 150, and um, and I'm going to send a few more, but but not many, and and like you say, a bunch of them are the ones coming back. But I I sent them to Chip. I usually wait for Chip Chip's letter. Uh, his card every year has a letter, you know, that tells what they've been doing and what he's been doing and stuff. And I usually wait for that, and then I wait for Sid Mead's. Christmas card, which is unbelievable. This year, this year, well, one of his I have on display in here, oh, yeah? in the other room. But uh, 
this year he's uh, it's a modern Santa with no head, so it's kind of <laughs> kind, of, kind of strange. Uh, it's awesome. been a weird year. So. Yeah, yeah. So that that one's not as good as usual, but the <laughs> last one I think I have on display out there. Check that out. It's unreal. <clears throat> what's your uh, What's your favorite color to spray? Is it green? Well, no, I have four. I pretty much I I like gold. I think gold's probably my most favorite. Yeah. But I like gold, purple, green, and blue. You know, that's I can do the most with those. And that's once in a while we get an oddball like the the Buick in there that's pink, and they they wanted it pink, so I had to put in pink with a little burgundy or you know some other color because just straight pink is. Is too soft and too too light of yeah. color, you know. So I have to, you know, blend some other colors with that. And so when I paint a car, I paint it until I like it. I don't care if the customer likes it or not, but <laughs> usually they do. In fact, they, over all the years, I've only had two customers not like it. And one of them kicks himself ever since. Uh, Richard Zoki just died, but... He told me for years and years after that, he says, I wished I would have left it. What he did, he brought me a brand new Buick, um, 54 Buick, I think, brand new in 54. And he says, do anything you want, paint it radical. So I did. I had greens and blues and, you know, radical paint on it. Uh -huh. And he come in and saw it, he says, oh my God, that's too radical. <laughs> redo it. So I redid it, never took a picture of it. Yeah. That was a big mistake. I didn't, you know, I tried to take pictures all the way all my life, but I didn't take a picture of it. I repainted and dulled it down and so forth, and he liked it. And so then after that, after he got back into it, see, he got away from it for a while, and now every car that he's been doing, he chops it. Mm -hmm. And I always then, I was trying to get him to chop one, and he never would. Brand new cars, and he wouldn't chop them. He'd bring them, he lived, you know, 65 miles or so from, from Modesto, and he'd bring it, and it would have 74 miles or... 80 miles on it. He'd drive it one night, cruise up and down one night with it, bring me, me the next day. Wow. And I did four, five cars in four years for him, brand new cars. What era was that? In the 50s. In the 50s. It'd be uh, 52, 3, 4. Yeah. That's pretty wild to like tear apart like a, a brand new car. And also, that's yeah. like, that's got to feel pretty good that people like yeah, trust I, you. Yeah, I would hood, hood and deck it and stuff, you know. Yeah. I had this guy. Um, he came to me and, and he was kind of a weird dude, but he, uh, he was going to get a 54 Olds, 54 Olds, and uh, he came and he wanted to figure it all out ahead of time. What, what's it going to do? What am I going to do? What's it going to cost? You know, and, uh, and he was from Turlock and he worked at a camera store and he wanted to trade me a camera in on part of the job, which I let him do. You know, but he brought me this brand new Olds, and and uh, so I did the headlights and taillights and you know normal stuff, lowered it a little bit. But he wouldn't let me lower it at first because he was afraid of of a warranty. He was afraid it would hurt his warranty. So the first show, there was a big cavity behind the grill, uh, between the, uh, the you have your bumper and your grill. Then there's a big open space before the radiator. So I put three or four crankshafts in there for weight, and then I put sandbags in the trunk, 
and we drove it to the first show, and it looked cool. Boy, it was down there. It was almost on bottom, but it was. It looked cool. Brand I'm new not car. gonna lie. I've had bags of rocks in my car before. Oh, yeah. like. So then, another time, uh, brand new Olds. Guy brought me a brand new Olds, '98, and uh, had a young kid that lived next door. He was coming over and helping me sweep the floor, and so I says, "Take that hood ornament off." So he's underneath. I give him the wrench, and he's under there unbolting the hood ornament. Hood ornament slides down and breaks the windshield. <laughs> Jeez. He didn't have enough, nobody holding the outside. Brand new, big rocket. Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> Slid right down, broke the windshield. He got it fixed on, uh, you know, uh, insurance. Got it fixed, didn't cost me. Another time we were doing, Bart, Bart Bartoni's a good friend of mine, and we were doing his Ford, I think it was a, I forget whether it was a 41 or a 46 Ford. I did both of them for him. Anyway. We, uh, uh, we, we put a big C-notch in the frame, so I cut the floor out, and I built the floor up with a big square section over the C-notch, mm -hmm. you know, in the floor. And then I, and I re-tunneled the drive shaft, so I put a big tunnel and tapered it all the way to the front end. And so I, I was welding, I welded in the back of the floor, and then somebody undercoated the back that night, and then the next day, I come in and I start welding up in front on the tunnel. Never thought about that fresh undercoating in there, and it ignited. Oh, wow. Burnt the headliner. Oh, Burnt the headliner out of that one. Got to put a new headliner in. <laughs> so you know, I've had a few idiot things happening in my life that we don't talk about. But anyway. But then you learn. You didn't do that two times. Yeah. No, you don't. You never learn. You never do it twice. Absolutely. Every day's a school day. No, I don't have that on. But my, I have a T-shirt. I say that so much. I had a T-shirt made every day's a school day. That's great. That's one of the really neat things about, like, I was, when I was doing research on on you getting ready for this, like, you had a really successful shop here, and then here, and then there. Like, you've uh, adapted and moved on so many times. It's so yeah. Inspiring. Yeah. Like I don't a, care where I'm at. I can I can do it out in the barn. I painted a car in the barn. Uh, in a shed in uh, at a show in Ohio, yeah. they had the show at the fairgrounds, and they had a car cow barn there, and I painted the station wagon and flamed it in the show while the show was going on. Wow, that's great. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. At Bulletproof Gambino for a minute, they did a, a oh, chop live chopping thing. Yeah, right? live chopping thing like yeah. at that Bulletproof car show. That was pretty. Yeah, they <laughs> see. I do a workshop at Gambino's every year now. This is about the fourth, mm -hmm. yes. fourth year, and they chop a car on, on Friday, Friday and Saturday night, in the show, separate from me. See, they, they the guy pays a few bucks or whatever, and mm -hmm. so the students come in early and they they chop and, and weld it back together. So it, they chopped a '51 Ford Vicky at this show at this workshop last weekend. So it looked good. Yeah, well, good. And they use the methods of how to lay it out and stuff that I sh showed them. So it was pretty cool. That's really cool. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to have to wind it up. i got to go to work. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. I... Well, thank you so much for your time. Right, you're I, welcome. I can't thank you guys enough. And thanks, uh, Matchstick, for setting this up. Like, this was no problem. an absolute dream. Thank you so much. The, so... Only, th the only thing we need to do is... Uh, and say where we're we going from here. Yeah. 
Well, we're just going up. We're just going to keep on building custom cars. I love it. And we're going to keep on doing metal fabrication and neat, neat stuff, like the 40 I'm doing for the Riddler. We're doing some nice, interesting stuff that some of it is going to be never done before type thing, and, uh, and that's what it's going to take to enter the Riddler, and, and there we, we want to be at least be in the grade 8 yeah. at Riddler. Wow. All right? The way the car looks now, I, I'm sure it'll be a shoe-in, but uh, yeah, thank you so much. I think right. that's a perfect spot to end it. Well, all right, there you have it. That's the interview with Gene. What an amazing guy. I, I couldn't believe how sharp uh, he was on some of these numbers, like the the names and dates, they just they came to him so quickly. It's it was really incredible. Gene's a really amazing guy. He's so inspiring to me. You know, uh, to be a man of his age who's done so much to still have this uh, just amazing drive and curiosity. This is my third time being down to uh, to Gene's shop, and every time I go, I I come back just so inspired to work on my own stuff. I mean, he's such a, a humble and curious guy. It it really uh, inspires me to do more with my stuff. So there it is. Uh, this is the, the 12th episode of the podcast, which means we just completed our first year. So if you've been here from the beginning, thank you so much. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. I, I really hope to do a lot more fun and exciting stuff with the show in the next year. And uh, thank you so much for your support. So uh, that's all I got. That's the end. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in 2017.